This is Jocko Podcast number 114 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. And tonight we have a guest on the podcast for the fourth time, the fourth appearance, which is no surprise, really, because this is a guy that I went to war with, started a business with, wrote a book with, I actually watched him get married and have kids and buy houses and go from a, let's say a wild single man going to live a Friday night like it was his last night ever to a guy with a diaper in one hand and a bag of cheddar bunnies in the other hands trying to tame his son who at one years old was like a hard-headed borderline psychotic version of himself and I also saw this guy in much harsher environments and in some of the most challenging situations I saw him bear the incredibly heavy weight of leading men in combat and also the crushing weight of losing some of those men I still see that weight on his shoulders and I see it in his eyes and I wish I could take some of it away but I can't and as we learn in the SEAL teams we don't complain we shoulder our share of the weight we shoulder our share of the burden and we drive on and I've seen him stand up when I needed him to stand up when what I was asking for was more than I could have asked or should have expected from anyone and I watched him time and time and time again move out move out into the darkness toward the unknown toward the violence toward the enemy whose mission was to maim or to kill him and his men but he went and he went every time and he went without fail and his name is Leif Babin and if you want a more thorough background of Leif you can listen to the other times that he's been on this podcast he was on number 11 number 34 number 65 you should listen to those first before you listen to this one you can also read the book that we wrote it's called extreme ownership it's about our experiences in combat and the leadership lessons we learned there but for now here we are once again 
and Leif, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. And we had a couple different options on what we were going to do this time around, and tweeted out, you know, if anybody has any questions, and, and we got a lot of questions. So <clears throat> I know I can answer questions. We'll just say in a really in a very in depth manner from time to time. Sure. And we got a lot of questions. So I, I, I you know, we we just took down a bunch of the questions, and I'll, I'll read through some of them, and we'll try and burn through a bunch of these questions that we got from everybody. Let's get some. Ready to get some. Like I said, Leif is always ready always to get some, ready. which is a stand, good thing. Stand by to get some. Stand by to get some. <laughs> for, for people that don't know, don't know what that means, and we often put that out on social media, and I don't think people recognize what that actually means to us. Like we, we knew, we would say this all the time in combat or in training scenarios, when you knew that, I mean, it was about to go down. Bullets were going to be flying around. Explosions were going to be going off. And you'd hear someone very clearly over the radio, just in a real calm voice, come up and be like, Stand by to get some. <laughs> yeah. So we get a chuckle out of that every time. <laughs> always get a chuckle out of that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a true statement though, right? You know you're going to get some. But when you can say it in that manner, you know, when you should be like, you know, stand by to get some. And, and people are like, stand by to get some. It's pretty awesome. I, I was on my first deployment and we were driving, driving south from Baghdad. And and we got ambushed, and we were in like a, like a five or six vehicle convoy, and the ambush hit the tail end. I was in, I was in the number two vehicle as normal for you know the, for platoon commander at the time. I'm in the number two vehicle. The, the tail end of the ambush gets ambushed, or tail end of the convoy gets cam- ambushed, and. But I mean, it's very clear. It's RPGs that are going over the convoy and explosions and machine gun fire, Good times. and and so it's really obvious we're getting um, ambushed. And but we're on a highway and we're moving fast, so we, you know, it's you know, I, I was like push through. You know what I mean? Like we didn't stop at all, didn't even hesitate. And then we continue down the road, and and it, I asked for the um, you know, like up count from the rear. I was like up count, and so it was you know. I hear like vehicle six is up and vehicle five is up and, and the vehicle four is up and uh, and it gets to the front and I'm like Roger we're up keep rolling and then another maybe another minute goes by <laughs> and my platoon chief great guy he's in the back vehicle rear you know in the rear vehicles because that's how you break you know break it up so if something happens he's in control of the rear. and and he comes up in the radio and he's like he's like hey sir. Just, just, just want to let you know that we got ambushed You're back here. Did you know that? And I go like this, Roger. <laughs> we got back. We had a good laugh about that one, but uh, it was pretty good times. So awesome. Yeah. All right. Getting to some questions. This is a question that actually came. A very similar question that I had when it, when I had Tony on. And most of these questions, because I said these questions are for Leif coming on the podcast, so most of them are directed at you, and I'll, I'll, I'll chime in or whatever if I feel the need. But you like that? So here we go. First one. Leif, how often did you disagree with Jocko's commands? And how many times did you actually let him know? Also, how did you handle either situation? So there you go. I disagree with Jocko every minute of every day. <laughs> Listen, we actually we had a... It's a great question, and look, Jock and I are different people. We have different views of the world. We have uh, there were there were times when you know his job was 
your job was strategic and you're looking at the bigger strategic picture. My job was tactical. I'm looking at the tactical picture. Sometimes you can make the, a tactical decision that could impact the strategic mission. And, and every, it was very rare, though, that we ever had any kind of disagreement on those things. Uh, I think, um, you know, there were, there were a number of times that when uh, what, what I always liked about Jocko and I think people look at you and think, oh, he's this big, intimidating guy. And I remember uh, our commanding officer, actually. Um, we, we were talking to him and of course he, he loved our task unit and he was like, yeah, you guys and bruisers. He, like, he was talking to me and, and, uh, the Delta platoon commander and, uh, and said, you guys, you got to do what Jocko says or you know, he's, he'll choke you out. And we were kind of laughing about that because we were we were training jujitsu every morning. We're like, man, I've been choked out by Jocko hundreds of times. It's not even a threat anymore. Uh, but uh, it, it was it was never we never did what you said because it was fear or intimidation or like we have to do what he says because he's in charge. What I always loved about you and your leadership was that I, I knew that I could push back on stuff and you were going to listen to me. And it was uh, it was interesting interesting for me to see that as you know we built a relationship. I, I could I could come in and be like, hey. I think we ought to do this. And, and, and very rarely would you, 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 you would never say like, no, do it this way. Cause it's my way. But even very, very rarely would you, would you say, sometimes you might be like, well, we want to go in this direction and here's why we want to do this. But most of the time you would actually just say, Hey, well, talk me through that. Okay. What, how's that going to work? And, and, and you would give me the opportunity and others in the between the opportunity to come up with with a plan and, and, and kind of analyze it and look at it and and give it give it a shot and so that's that's what I lo- always loved about uh, about that I mean I, a couple of disagreements that that came up uh, you know for for me something that we talk about all the time you know with our business echelon front when we're talking talking to companies and, and leadership teams going through the workup cycle you know we always talk about it. people want to hire folks and just kind of let them let them run and and you know people won't say hey give them give them the opportunity to go out and succeed. And, uh, and a lot of bosses want to kind of, you know, what just, Hey, I'm really busy. Hire someone with experience, put them, put them in, in position. You kept really, really tight reins on us. Uh, uh, and, and initially that was super frustrating to me. I mean, I, I remember being in our, our Mount training, military operations, urban terrain training for folks that don't know what that means, where we're, we're in the mock cinder block city. And we've, we've talked about that on the podcast and talked about that often here for, for other folks at other podcasts. But, uh, that was, it, it, I wanted to plan these things. I'm the platoon commander and I want to be in charge. I remember you, you saying, Hey, we should do this or let's plan it this way. Or, and and I, I remember wanting to kind of push back against that. And, uh, and oftentimes, uh, but I recognize like, as we're going along, you're actually training me and, and giving me the, the, uh, the, giving me opportunity. You, you've done a whole bunch of these operations that I hadn't done any of those operations previously. So, uh, you, you were, you were teaching me and mentoring me. And, and, and once we got to the battlefield, you just unleashed us to, to get after it. And a couple of times I, I do remember some pushback where you came up and gave me some direction and, uh, you know, where, where, uh, you said, Hey, why don't you try this or do that? And one of those times in, in particular was when I was, you know, when I was trying to get, get, uh, I remember a number of times and one of them out, out at, in our, our desert, uh, uh, training facility out at what we call land warfare. And uh, I'm trying to get the platoon um, to to, uh, to to pull back to a position, and we're trying to trying to patrol out. And you you gave me um, you, you told me to actually you know, stop trying to put put a bunch of detailed information out of the radio, like use verbal commands, do it this way. And I, I, I you know immediately my ego getting in the way. I was in a, it was frustrating because the team wasn't doing what I wanted them to do. <laughs> 
And that's, that's like step number one in the frustration. So my yeah. team isn't doing what I want them so to do. So automatically, my meter's kind of starting to get pegged, and like, you know, the red, like, no one's listening to me. So when Jocko comes up to give me some direction of like, hey, you ought to do this, my immediate pushback is like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, and, and I didn't say that, but yeah. I, I just, I was like, I kind of bristled a little bit. I remember kind of bristling that, and I was like, okay, let me think about it. Um, what do we, you know, uh, he hasn't told me wrong before, and I was like, let me give that a shot. It's like, okay. I'll do that. Use verbal commands. Get get everybody moving. Do and you do that over and over and over again throughout multiple training scenarios, and then on the battlefield as well. Where where that's what built up trust. So when when you did tell me to do something, I was like, I'm going to give it a shot, and and it worked. Yeah, it worked. So, like so just magic. to expand on that a little bit, the verbal command thing is so you get guys that there's a bunch of people. You know, you got you got a platoon. We'll just take this case. You got a platoon of 16 guys. They're in various terrain features. One guy's in a little in a little uh, uh, ravine. One guy's up on a little knoll. Another guy's behind a shrub. So they, they, there's a little bit of dispersion with your troops, and you want to get them to do something. You want them to get them to fall back, or you want them to get them to muster where you are, and maybe the shooting stopped or whatever. But you you want to control all these people at the same time, and so what you think is, hey, I'll just get on the radio. And I'll tell everyone, hey, everyone, I'm back about 100 meters back. There's a, a, a little piece of terrain sticking out. There's a rock by it. I'm behind that rock. And if you guys start peeling back here to the northwest at about 090 degrees, that's where you're flying me. Okay, so now what does that come across like on a transmission for a guy that's shooting a uh, machine gun? He, he hears like, come back. He, that's what he hears. He doesn't hear anything. And, and so, and you've given this long, complex direction. And what you really need is, hey, everyone, fall back here now. Th- that's, what, that's what they need to hear. And so then you do it, and you realize that now we have a, a, a thing in the SEAL teams where you pass the command. And so when you hear a loud verbal command, everyone passes it. Now everyone heard it, and now everyone comes back to your position. But this is the essence of, in the book Extreme Ownership, this is really the essence of simple. Like, it's simple, clear communications. And that's one of those things that... Once you learn it, you're like, yeah. If I, if my people, if my team isn't doing what I want them to do, not that they don't want to, they don't even know what you want them to do because you're giving it in such a complex way. I, I've, I gave that counsel hundreds of times. Once I was running the training on the West Coast, I gave that counsel hundreds of times. Like, hey man, just tell everyone a simple command right now to get them to do something. So that holds true. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you another situation where you, you kind of disagreed with me. And we, we, we were working with a company. I'm not going to mention the company's name. We were working with a company, and there was a, a, sen- a, a like a mid-level but a somewhat senior leader, and you didn't like him. And the reason you didn't like him because he wasn't really that competent. He, he had messed some things up, and his, whole, his division was suffering a little bit. And you were... You were kind of like, hey, Jocko, we should talk about getting this guy fired. Well, it wasn't that he was, it just wasn't that he was competent. His division was suffering. Like, they were like, hey, what's the, this guy is dragging us down. This is a major issue. Uh, and, uh, and, and I was, we were getting massive negative feedback that was impacting the team, particularly from a guy who was supposed to be, uh, the knowledgeable guy that was yeah. able to, to groom and mentor the, the junior leaders, you know, underneath him. Uh, and, you know, I thought, man, why should they keep this guy? This is he's actually dragging the team down. Uh, and you said, well, strategically, it, it if they get you know if they get rid of this guy, it's gonna it's gonna actually have some, some impact to the strategic mission they're trying to do. It, yep. it, the the senior so, leaders who are gonna you know maybe question what was going on there right. if you remove a key leader from. So it, strategically, so. at that point in the company, that individual who was 
you know, again, we'll just say incompetent and also unliked. He had really, really good political and relationship connections with the, we'll say, apparent company, but the people that controlled the funding. And so we could get rid of this guy, but all of a sudden, all these people that were funding this company, there was going to be problems. Mm. And I was like, hey, if we get rid of that guy, we're going to cut a lot of relationship cords. So we, we let's try and find a way to mitigate as much as we can. And we, we disagreed upon it. But basically, you know, you fundamentally got the other leader in that division to figure out how to work with the guy. And got him trained up, and and then that guy took enough control that they mitigated the non-performer kind of out of the picture, and it worked out well. Um, and I think the lesson there is that you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, like you can win the tactical battle and lose this the strategic uh, war, and you certainly don't want to do that. And I think it, you got to recognize that when you're whether it's tra- terminating someone or making decisions, uh, I think that's where we had. You know, you had that strategic picture in mind, and uh, and I was focused a little more on on the tactical side. So, um, you gotta you gotta keep. You can make the right tactical call, and can have some real strategic consequences. You know, that cascade and cause you a lot more problems. I, I think though that the my true answer to this question on our most fundamental disagreement came on patches, and uh, that was uh, Jocko was understood as seals that we needed to be squared away we wanted to be stormtroopers in you bruiser that's what we wanted to we wanted to all look the same we wanted to have uh you know squared away haircuts squared away uniforms everybody in the same same gear and that's hard for seals because seals often want to just kind of wear a you know mix and match of uniforms and and kind of whatever gear they, well, they want to look cool straight up long hair <laughs> beards all those things you recognize we needed to we need to do that and and guys can get out of control we have all these patches made that are you know that are like, hey, look at these cool guy. I got patches all over me, and and uh, and and that's seals are some of the best. You know the biggest offenders of that. So Jocko was like, no patches. Yeah, and just to expand on this a little bit more, but the, strategically from the army, from the Marine Corps, the army and the Marine Corps, when they look at someone that's not in a squared squared away uniform, they think to they think to themselves, hey, if this guy can't even wear a squared away uniform, how can he operate out in the battlefield? And that that's what what they think, and good for them because it's a true statement. If you've got someone that can't mind some some details and look squared away then how can how can I expect them to do their job well now in this in the seal teams and really in all soft communities there's some absolute laxity when it comes to uniform requirements that's why you see pictures of guys doing this uh, you know dressing out a uniform and mixing and matching uniforms it's it's the way it is and you know what my in my in my deepest knowledge I know that you can have and, and this is a classic military quote is you know uh, an inspection ready Platoon has never passed combat and a combat ready platoon has never passed inspection It's it's a commonly known thing that I understand and I get and But especially we're new in the battle space. We're just showing up here. We got you know Marines and 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 Army soldiers and senior leadership that we're gonna be working for and I say okay We're gonna make a good this is the base fundamentally we're gonna make a good first impression We're gonna look squared away, which means we're gonna you know have squared away haircuts We're gonna blouse our boots and we're gonna wear a, a normal looking uniform, which means we don't have crazy looking patches that that make us look different, right? Because that's the thing that you're saying. The thing that you're saying is, look at me. That's what you're saying. Look at me, I'm cool. That's what a patch is. It's, hey, look at me, I'm special. And, and, and obviously, I don't like that attitude. And so here we go back to the patches. 
So we, I mean, when you told me, we were, we were on board with everything on the same page, and, and we saw eye to eye on so many things. It's certainly me and the Delta Platoon Commander uh, with you, absolutely. And uh, But that was, I don't know why, but for one reason, I, we got together and I was like, we designed our own patches. We're like, we're When you say we, patches. you mean you and the Delta Platoon Me Commander. and the Delta Platoon Commander, we... <laughs> Me and the Delta Team Commander uh, said we're going to design some batches for Tasking and Bruiser, and I don't know, I don't know why, why. If we just had an idea that this was going to be a historic unit, this was going to be something we wanted to be a part of, but we felt like we needed ta- Tasking and patches, and I felt like you secretly wanted us to have them, <laughs> even though you told us not to do it. So, so I was like, so we designed these patches. One of them, I, I used the uh, Lord Humongous from the Road Warrior. Uh, for one and uh, the other one we had a, we had a big cow skull and uh, and it was so we had these two patches we went out we had them made so we I secretly had them shift I secretly had them distributed to uh, to both platoons and we keep them in our shoulder patch pocket and we'd be uh, so we'd be in a convoy ready to roll out Jock would come out see everybody off shake hands with everybody uh, and, and we'd be launched on the operation and they, we'd come up over the radio my leading pet officer would come up over the radio and be like patches on <laughs> Everyone pulled the patches out, slapped the patches on, and then we. Although we got busted when there was an embedded reporter, with uh, there was an embedded reporter um, with uh, one of the units we were working with, and there were some photos of patches. So we got busted. Although you, you didn't, you didn't come down on me hard like that. You just you well, just let I, it I, I just because you mentioned that we had this conversation on text the other day, and I'm, I'm actually I just pulled out my phone to read this text back and forth. We were just talking about. Um, you were basically saying, "Hey, you know, you let's not forget you didn't want us to wear patches," and 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 then I, and then I wrote back to you, "Hey, don't forget that while I was out, outwardly disapproving, uh, inside I was smiling, knowing that a little rebelliousness is an important is important for leaders to possess, and that esprit de corps trumps compliance and uniformity." Oh, that's an actual text conversation we were having. <laughs> that's kind of jacked up, isn't it? But my, my point is. Like you, you know, obviously it meant something to you, and it was bringing the team together. It's not just like when you go through boot camp and the drone instructors will let you get away with something because they know it's unifying the team, and that's what it was for me. It's like okay, and also how much leadership capital am I going to expend? Because yeah, yeah. even though I just made it sound like it was a big deal at the, the that, it, and and also we had earned a, a good reputation. We it wasn't a first impression anymore. It was like the impression had been made, and the impression was solid. And so now it's like oh yeah, these guys are these guys. Oh yeah, they they're actually a unit identifying patch. Mm. So anyways. we actually and we gave that patch to the, the brigade commander yep. when we departed, which yep. was awesome. And and I'm very proud to say that uh, uh, there's not a whole lot up on the wall in the Jocko gym, <laughs> but uh, in, in the garage there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but there is a TU Bruiser patch. There is indeed. With Lord Humongous yeah. represents. There's a seven Echo from my from my Echo platoon at Team Seven, and there's a Seal Team One patch. I mean a sticker. That's my that's my uh, wall of glory, <laughs> stapled to the wall. Awesome. All right. Next question. See, that's one question. We're 20 minutes deep. You got to like that. Um, all right. Next question. Can you discuss the evolution of Echelon Front? Was the company ready for the explosive popularity of extreme ownership? What kinds of challenges have you faced? We faced all kinds of challenges and the same challenges that uh, that any business faces, uh, certainly. And, you know, for for us, it's been learned to the fire hose. It, it's been it's been an awesome experience. I mean, I, I think. Uh, just like any, just like our, our combat experience, we we adapted to the battlefield. We learned, we educated ourselves about things that we didn't know about, and and uh, and we've grown. 
I mean, I don't think anyone could, I don't know if we could have predicted just how, you know, widely disseminated the, the book would be or, or uh, you know, the popularity of things that we're talking about. We knew they were powerful. It's the whole reason we wrote the book because there was a massive demand signal for it. And, uh, and I think, you know, as we work with companies now through, through uh, our company, Echelon Front, I mean, there's just, we're, we're able to go and, and deliver uh, some impact to these teams uh, in a way that other people aren't able to do uh, it, because most of the, the folks in that space are, it, it's a feel good thing. You're out there to talk about, Hey, you guys, you're great. And let's harness your inner potential and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I laugh when people call us motivational speakers because uh, I say, look, motivational speakers tell you how good, good you are. And uh, we're here to tell you how much you suck and be better. You got to get better if you want to win. So um, that's what we do. And I think it's the same, same way that, that, that brutally honest assessment of yourself, your team, the same thing that makes you know, SEAL units successful on the battlefield and other military units is the same thing that we're doing now with, with our company. Certainly, you know, all the challenges of, of bookkeeping and, and, and uh, you know, the billing processes and, and paying taxes and, I mean, just the, you know, regulatory environment, those things that, that make it hard for any business launching. Uh, but just like on the battlefield where we could either bitch about the paperwork or we could figure out a way to most efficiently get it done so that we could actually go accomplish the mission, uh, which you instilled in us, like, hey, I, I can complain about it all day or I can figure out a way to get this done and make it happen because that's what it requires to do. And that's what we've done with, with our business. Uh, and it's it's been awesome. And, and frankly, uh, what I love is working with leaders and so many of the folks that contact us that want to work with us they they're already doing well and they want to do even better and uh, and it's just so much fun to work with folks who uh want to just constantly grow and learn and we grow and learn all the time from them yeah yeah i think you hit it all next question in battle having the high ground is crucial how do you see this principle applied to the business world and and we have i've answered this question before with the statement take the high ground or the high ground will take you so business world okay well tactically what do you think why well, do you need the high ground well the, i think that's the, that's the real question right the why is the high ground important and obviously you know out of thousands of years of military history um the, the high ground's always important by the way i did have a i did have a training instructor uh, a few years ago my my seal team days who we had the, he said, "Look at your high speed altimeter watch, and uh, and and you get get down behind something." So he was basically telling us, like, if that thing's going up, you're wrong. That should, thing should be going down. He was he was telling us to take the low ground, which was uh, which was kind of laughable. So uh, out out doing thousands of years of of military history, always take the low ground. No, don't do that. You want to take the high ground. The reason is because tactically, if you're on the high ground, you you have got a better shooting position. You can shoot down on people who can't hide very well because you you you're above them. Which is why it was awesome for us to be in in buildings. And if we could get a three or four story building in this, you know, in the city of Vermont, the urban environment, it was awesome. It's no different in the business environment. And, and what you have to do is just identify the key terrain. What is the key terrain? The high ground is key terrain. Uh, so that, that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, um, you're going to go climb to the mountaintop because that's where you want to be. Uh, but but if, if that ridge line that's on the high ground gives you, you know, tactical advantage on the battlefield, that's, it's the same thing in the business world. If you're, if you're a retailer, you know, where's that key terrain? Where's the intersection that that's that you want to be? That's going to give your business the the, the best 
you know, the best chance to, to succeed. If you're, um, you know, any space, I mean, there's, there's key terrain that you can identify where you want to be a part of. If, if it's, if you're a private equity company, you're trying to get, break into some new, you know, some, some new technology or a new, uh, uh, new, new particular industry that that's, that's key terrain. You need to be focused on that and, and identifying that is critical, why it's important. Um, and, and everyone's going to be going to be vying for that. And you want to be aggressive. You want to maneuver, uh, because if you get there first, um, you're going to be a lot better position. It's, it's flank or be flanked. We always say, you know, you're maneuvering on the enemy or they're going to maneuver on you. Um, so what you don't want to do is wait for somebody else to get in a better position. Uh, and then you actually have to fight your way out of that. It's, it's not good. Like in jujitsu, you don't want to wait till someone's going to mount you. That's not a good place to be or take your back. Right. You want to try to prevent that before you can get there. Uh, and, uh, and if you can do that to them first then you're in a much better position and I think it's no different in the business world. I had a, was working with a company the other day and basically what they were saying was that their competitor was lying about them to, to, as they're trying to close accounts, their, their competitor would go in the field and say, oh yeah, this, this, the company are this, this company, they don't do it right. And they don't have these accounts and they're, they're going out of business and everything's bad. So there's, there's, their competitors were out there lying about them. And, you know, the sales leader said, you know, I don't I don't want to stoop to their level, you know, and, and start throwing lies out there about them or making accusations. I, I think that's, you know, I said, well, no, you don't want to take the low ground. You want to take the high ground. And he said, well, yeah, but at the same time, what, what are we supposed to do? And I said, well, you actually have the most powerful weapon in this fight. The weapon that you have is the truth. You have the you have the truth, but you're not getting the truth out there. I said, what do you do when you do close an account? What do you do? How do you publicize it? He's like, well, we, we really don't. And I, I said, well, do you, do you do a press release when you close a big account? No, we don't do that. Do you advertise it anyway? No, we don't do that. I said, so the most powerful weapon you have is the truth, and you're not utilizing that weapon. You need to have a propaganda arm at this company that's going to go out there and explain that the, all the wins and what the truth really is, and that will be more powerful, and then you can maintain the high ground. And by the way, when those other companies are out there lying about you, and then people find out, it makes them look even worse. So they, they've broken their trust with, with the potential client. So yeah, always take the high ground. Always take the high ground. It might not win you the short-term battle in business, right? Um, you know, you see, you see companies, you know, like, uh, I can sell you this thing right now. I can, I can paint, repaint this thing, put a fresh coat of paint on it and sell it to you. That's not the high ground, right? That's the low ground because it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail you because what's underneath the hood is crap. So that might win me, you know, that one sale. But what's going to happen in the long road? Taking the low ground, you're going to you're going to put on Yelp that you got a crappy deal, and I did you know I repainted something and sold it to you, and it wasn't worth it. And now that reputation is going to spread, and and it's not going to help you if you take the high ground. Hey, here's what's going on with this vehicle or whatever, whatever you're selling. Take the high ground. The, the cool saying. thing about that is is we we see so many leaders and some of the most successful people we do that recognize how important that is to build relationships and they're they're willing to to lose a sale or or lose a uh you know to, to send someone to, to a competitor just to just to make sure that person gets exactly what they yeah. need and they're building a relationship so that means more business gets sent to them as a result it's what you started off talking about it's a strategic win as opposed to a tactical win and that and that's what you've got to be focused on and that's really as a leader that's what you got to be looking at you got to be looking at your frontline people and making sure that they they're not just out there trying to win every little tactical battle but they're going backwards strategically Strategically, so keep that in mind. That's why you have to detach. That's why you have to stay out of the weeds. And when you get in the weeds, you got to step back out of them because otherwise, you lose track of that, and you're gonna end up in the low ground before you even recognize it. All right, next question. 
How do you control rumors and gossip within an organization? That's pretty easy. You just you just talked about being you know getting out there with the truth and your propaganda arm to outside your company. It's no different inside your company. You've got to make sure that people. It's interesting when you work. We work with leaders sometimes, and you see people that are like, "Well, I, I don't want to share this with my people, you know, because I don't know what they might think." Like they're they're thinking yeah. something that may be totally not true. They're they're not just sitting there not thinking anything because you're not sharing it with them. They're coming up to their own conclusions, which may be completely false or opposite. But like we say in, in, in the in the Navy all the time, you know, perception is reality. That becomes reality. So you've yeah. got to you got to you can defeat the gossip uh, and rumors by actually just sharing the truth be open with people and uh and 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 being first out there with a the message so people get and understand it and even when horrible bad things go wrong extreme ownership right if if you take ownership for that and say hey listen this happened here's what we're doing to fix it here's what we're doing to turn things around um it, it's going to people people are not going to lose respect for you in the organization they're actually going to gain respect for you as a result something we talk about all the time so uh, don't be afraid to do that again just get the message out there and and, and be transparent and, and talk to folks if you don't tell people what's going on they're going to make up their own ideas of what's going on and the thing that i have to I have to we, we have to we have to take this just a little bit further right just a little bit further because we talk about transparency right and that word gets thrown around all the time and of, of the idea that you're just gonna you, that the idea that you're just gonna tell everyone exactly what's going on and that sounds great and it's like hey I'm a fully transparent leader and I'm gonna tell everyone what's going on but there's times where you actually don't want to do that there's times where you have to Maneuver and you have to be tactful and some of the things that you might tell someone Actually is not the right thing to do now. Am, am I I'm not saying we're, we're, we're gonna be dishonest with our people I'm not saying that and I'm saying that transparency is a great thing, but I mean just on a personal level if Leif's Leif's uh, working for me and He's not doing he's doing something horrible Is the best way to go about that fully full transparency is hey Leif you're doing horrible at this is that the best way to do it in front of the entire team. in front of the team, right? Is that is that it's full transparency, right? Hey, I'm fully transparent Okay, everyone welcome to the meeting today. By the way I just wanted to point out that Leif misses numbers again, and he's a loser <laughs> That might be what I'm thinking. That's fully transparent. Hey guys just be and, and you love this too, right? Just being transparent Leif's an Leif's a loser. He missed his numbers again, and you know what? I'm actually thinking about firing him just in case anyone was wondering so that's we're, that's full we're transparency. probably gonna wait to close the business Friday. Did I yeah. do a good job? Yeah. Right, so so let's not get carried away, right? You, you know what is the smart way? The smart way is to maneuver. The smart way is to say, okay, Leif's not doing what he what he wants, what he should be doing. If I go and accuse him of failing, what's his reaction going to be? How is it? So, what do I do instead? Instead, I go, I want to take ownership of it. And so instead, I say, hey, Leif, you know, hey. He comes in, come to come to my office. I want to talk to you about a couple things. So he comes to my office. So I'm not in a public place. And now it's hey Leif, hey man, I noticed that you you know you you, you missed your numbers, and I'm thinking that maybe I'm not giving you the kind of support that you need to to get where you need to be. Is there anything else that you need from me so that you can win? Again, inside, sure. I'm thinking Leif, you pathetic loser. You missed your numbers again, right? But I'm not gonna do that. So the full transparency thing. I get it and it makes sense but we do have to consider 
the tertiary and the secondary and tertiary effects of the things that we say, especially as a leader. You, what you say has a lot of impact as a leader. And sometimes I see leaders, they make a little off the cuff remark about something. You know, oh, that won't matter. Oh, 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 okay, so it doesn't matter. So, so this little thing, you know, hey, hey, boss, we wanted to get this, this task done by this date. Is it still important? Ah, it doesn't matter. Oh, okay, so it doesn't matter. So what I was working on for the last month and a half doesn't matter. Okay, cool, great. I was fully transparent. So just be careful. Use tact. Use your brain. Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent correct. I, I think you know what I was trying to explain in the in the first situation is I mean I I was having a conversation with a leader uh, that we work with who was you know telling me that uh, there was a key leader in his team that didn't want to share with any of his key leaders that they uh, you know they they're the. He didn't want to share with the key leaders that they were they were having uh, having some issues, having some dire straits. Wonder, you know, getting to a point where they're wondering, hey, I don't know if we're going to make payroll, Oof. you know, a, a few months from now if we don't turn these things around. But I don't want to share that with them because I don't want them to panic. Mm-hmm. And when I, la- I when I heard that, I was like, uh, what kind of panic are they going to have when they find out? Yeah, they, they can't make payroll, but no one told them about it, and they thought everything was great. So the panic is going to be a hundred times worse. Yeah, and, and and that's that's the kind of transparency I'm talking about. Where you're like, listen, you need to go and have a direct conversation and say, guys, here's where we're at. Yep, and that should be something to help get them in gear to be like, yep. listen. We have got to we got to hit these numbers. We got to get things going again. We got to turn performance around. Or this is where we're going to be next quarter uh, if if we don't do that. And I think those uh, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Where you're not keeping the secrets is yeah, not helping sure. you out. Because by the way, everyone knows the numbers, right? So they know they already probably know you're in dire straits, and they're thinking, well, I better find a backup job, and they're going to leave, and now you're in even worse straits. So yeah, absolutely, you don't need to hide information from from the team. All right, you know what? We actually have like a few questions on the muster that people asked. One of them was, "One of them was, why should I come to the muster?" What do you think? Why should you come to the muster? By I, the way, the muster. In case you don't know, the muster is a leadership event. Is it seminar? Gathering. I oh, gathering. Oh, okay. I like it. A gathering of leaders. So the muster is a, a, a leadership gathering <laughs> where we get together and yep. we talk about leadership and we have them twice a year. Well, this one, we're having twice a year. Uh, but anyways, why should someone come to the muster? What do you think? What I love about the muster is, well, you have to understand, like we talk to hundreds of we've we've actually worked with we talked to thousands of leaders over the last six years that we've had this company echelon front worked with hundreds of companies and in, in about every industry you can imagine and we speak at a lot of leadership conferences we speak at them all the time uh and there is nothing like the muster there just isn't anything out there like the muster nothing even comes close and the reason I love it I mean I I I, I'm, I just get super excited to be there and be a part of that stuff and I even use words like magical <laughs> to describe it on previous podcasts, which I took some heavies for. Magical, yeah. Took a lot of heavies for yeah, out there. It was pretty magical, I guess. There were uh, there were some pretty good like Disney uh, Disney memes. Yeah, biz- Disney memes going there. That was pretty good. But the the reason the muster is so amazing is uh, it's just different from anything else that, that we do. And I think when I think about what really makes the muster different, it's the the people that are there, it's the content that we're talking about, and it's the impact that it has. And you know. So who comes to the muster? The, the reason that's so awesome is that there are leaders from all over the place. And these leaders are 
hell-bent on dominating their universe. I mean, these are people that are there, they're in the game, uh, and, and they're from every type of business, every type of industry. I mean, we have entrepreneurs, we have senior executives from, from major companies, we have mid-level managers, we have frontline leaders, and we have people who really aren't even in a leadership position, maybe with no direct reports, but are aspiring to be that way and grow and learn. Uh, we, get, we get police and firefighters, uh, and other law enforcement officers, uh, mi- mi- members of the military, I mean, they're serving out there on, on our front lines of the home front and, and abroad. And uh, these are the most committed people I've ever met. You know, it's 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 uh, one way to quantify this. Or <laughs> when when we're at the muster, the like the hotel staff will will come up and they'll be like, "Oh my god, this is crazy!" Because for instance, the doors to open to actually get in the morning of the muster, they open at eight o'clock. Right or I guess seven seven fifteen or seven forty five because it starts at eight seven forty five the doors open up and most I mean we, like you said we go to these conferences all the time everyone's listening been to some kind of conference and it's you know people are meandering around and they're, they're coming up late. late they don't really care at the muster it's like the doors open at seven forty five everyone's out in the hallway and we're out in the hallway hanging out with everyone at you know seven o'clock and that's after we do a four forty five PT in the morning we do because we do a little get some. And that's another thing. Like the hotel people, we're clearing it with the hotel. We're just letting them know like, hey, there's going to be a large gathering of people in in front of the hotel in the morning. And they're like, well, what time? And we're like, oh, 4.45. And they say, well, like, like how many people? And we're like, well, there's 450 people here, so there's going to be about 450 people here. <laughs> and sure enough, there it is. And that's what the whole muster's like. Oh, we say, hey, we're going to restart in... 10 minutes and everyone goes out and they come back in in 10 minutes everyone's seated ready to rock and roll so that's that's the and that's it's funny to hear that from an outside perspective because we're in it but the hotel people always make comments about they they say hey we've we never you know Kyle say hey I've been I've been running conferences here for 22 years I've never seen a group of people like this so that that to me, shows you what kind of people show up at the muster. When the and when the doors open, it's just bum rush <laughs> in there. To, everyone wants to be in that front row, you know, be yeah, there engaged. Yeah. So they can ask, so, and not just so they can, uh, you know, so, so they can actually ask questions, so they can actually engage yeah. uh, with us. And, and that's what I love about those folks. I mean, they just they're they're not there to feel good about themselves, right? They're there to take a hard look in the mirror and uh, and learn and grow and get better and 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 so they they can better and be be more effective leaders so they can lead and win in their teams whatever they happen to be doing now so you just kind of talked about the the other question was who comes to the muster and it's really every different type of leader the another question that we got about the muster is what do we talk about at the muster for what that's the other piece that I really like about it is, is content, right? It's it's content that, uh, that that we talk about, and of course, I love telling war stories, as uh, you all know from listening <laughs> to this podcast. Uh, we like talking about war stories. We like talking about our time in the teams, and uh, even when you just, you put that photo up there of uh, you know of, of us and Ramadi from back in the day, <laughs> and you know, it just it just brings back great memories. I mean, those will always be um, some of the absolute best times of my life. Certainly some of the worst times in my life as well uh, But uh, but mostly some of the absolute best times in my life and and so we get to talk about that But not just in a way that's that's a, that's a cool story But it has impact and I think taking the taking the combat leadership lessons that we talk about from extreme ownership and applying them directly to uh, You know to, to people's lives and and what they do and how to overcome their challenges uh, That's what it's about. It's it's super engaging 
Uh, and for us, if, you know, for, for me and John, it, it, this isn't a the standard leadership conference where there's like 40 different speakers and the, the main folks kind of get up there and spend a few hours. I mean, we're, we're there the whole time and we're there to engage with leaders. It's me, it's Jocko, it's Dave Burke, it's JP Donnell from our Echelon Front team. We're there. We're the guys on stage. And, and even during the breaks, we're talking to leaders that are coming up and asking questions. We're, we're engaging with them no uh, green in, room. in Q&A. No there, green there room, There isn't a way. green room. There isn't some place we're hiding behind the curtain. There isn't somewhere in the back where Leif is getting uh, cucumbers put on his eyes. <laughs> Take a load <laughs> off, sir. Yeah. Sipping, uh, sipping my Jocko white tea with <laughs> pinky up. <laughs> Look, I, and that's, the, the, you know, these, these folks are there to get their questions answered and, and to ask hard questions. The, 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 the thing that you re- we really get granular on a lot, and that's, that's what it is. You're taking, like, you understand the principles. It's like, it's like learning a, a, a jiu-jitsu move from one person, and they teach you a fundamental basic move, and you're like, oh, okay, I understand that. And then compared to okay now you're gonna get a private lesson like that's like in a class right you hey this is the arm lock then you get a private lesson with someone that goes in and adapts the technique to your body style to the opponents that you're facing the adjustments that you need to make that's the kind of granularity we get because the 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 more you see these different angles and the other great thing is because with all these different people that you got there and we do group exercises where now you're sitting down and we we purposely don't want people to sit with with industries that they already work with. So in one group, you'll get a, a, a CEO, you'll get a firefighter, you'll get a, a startup business owner, you'll get a mid-level manager, and you'll get some you know re- regular corporate EVP, and they'll all be sitting at the same table. And we, we'll give them a problem, we'll give them a task, and they'll come up with a solution, and they'll relate it to how it affects their lives and their business. And when you see stuff from different angles like that, and you're all applying, we're all speaking the same language because everyone there has obviously read the book. Everyone understands the, everyone understands fundamentally what the principles are, but now we're getting to see how they impact people's businesses and lives and leadership roles from all these different perspectives, and it just makes you that much better. That's why during these exercises, like I'll, I'll say, okay, I'm going to float around to these different tables and listen, but the first table I'll get to, I'll be like, oh man, these guys are, you're, I'm sitting there learning. Because you got, like I said, you got a firefighter that's explaining to a CEO what you do in a situation where your team has decided that they're not going to follow this procedure anymore. And they have good reason why they don't want to. Like, it's one thing when, you're, when your team doesn't follow the procedure and you say, hey, you got to follow this procedure. And, you, and they say, well, why? And you say, you explain it to them. And, and they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. But what about when you tell them to follow the procedure and they have a reason that actually makes sense? Then what are you going to do? Well, that's what you learn at the, at the muster. That's where you make the progress. So that's good. W- one last question that we got about the the muster is what kind of impact do you see from people that have been to the muster? The impact is uh, is is obvious in that the number of people who are there that are talking about how they just got promoted. You know, or, or they they just got put in this in this position uh, of greater responsibility and uh, and authority uh, on their teams. Are they been recognized for their exceptional performance? Are the folks who've come, who've come back from that and we hear about it on social media or reach out to us via email uh, or come back to a muster to talk about that from what they you know what what had happened to them previously? The number of leaders who 
come and and see what we're doing and bring their teams. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's what's pretty, pretty awesome too. I mean, that to me, when a when a when a CEO uh, uh, from a company comes, checks out what we're doing, uh, and brings twenty five of his his team members back uh, to be a part of that because he recognizes the impact that that can have uh, to his to his team and will have. And it's it just it's awesome to see that. I mean, they, these are the most. Again, the most committed people you could ever be around, and they just they leave there with the, the knowledge to directly apply things to solve problems, uh, and they learn from us, they learn from each other, just as you said. Uh, and part of that too, I think, is the recognition that these kinds of problems that I'm having are not unique to me. They're That's not true. unique to the market that I'm in. They're not unique to my industry, but they're leadership problems, and they and they apply everywhere. Uh, and I'm trying to get a diverse group of people to focus their efforts to uh, and mutually support one another, accomplish a mission just like everybody else in, in every other industry, in, in, the, in the business world, as a first responder, the military, doesn't matter. It's the same thing, uh, and, and these same techniques apply everywhere. And it just, uh, that's why it's awesome. I, I love the muster, and, and I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet those folks. Uh, and, uh, and that's why so many people come back again and again and again. And it's just, uh, it's just an awesome event. It's the best thing that they were a part of. And, uh, and frankly, if you don't want to have that good look in the mirror, that hard look in the mirror at yourself and have answer some tough questions about where you can do better, you probably shouldn't come because it's not for you. It's, uh, it's for people who are, are eager to destroy their competition and dominate the universe. And that starts with looking at themselves and taking ownership and solving problems. So they can win. Yeah, it's it's interesting because if you think about it, and I, I was talking about this yesterday. Like every problem that you have in an organization is going to be solved by leadership. That that's it. That's it. That's what it's going to get solved by. Every problem that is in an organization is going to be solved by leadership. I don't care if it's because you're missing numbers. I don't care if you got bad process. I don't care if you got the wrong people in the wrong positions. It, all those problems are all about leadership because if you got a bad process there's a leader that's allowing that process to be in place if you've got bad people then there's a leader that's not either training those people or getting rid of those people and if your P&L is upside down there's a leader that is not paying attention to the numbers so all these problems are gonna be leadership problems so if you want to improve your business well then what you need to do is improve your leadership now I, I will say this as well I just got to make like a little caveat here because you just talked about the value of it if you're out there in the world and you can't afford to come to the muster, which I understand. The muster is expensive. It costs us a lot to put it together. I had somebody hit me up like, hey, it sounds like you care but more about making money. I was like, no, no, we, we definitely want to make money. Um, that's what, that's what we, we are a business, and we need to make money, and we need to pay our team. And so, yeah, we are, we are going to make money, and the muster is expensive. It costs a lot of money. If you can't afford to come to the muster, don't come to the muster. If you can't, don't go out and borrow money to come to the muster. No, you, you, you're not, you, you know, don't skip a mortgage payment so you can come to the muster. That's not a good idea. What you do is you implement some financial discipline. You start saving money. You put it together and you can come to the next muster. By the way, if you can't afford the muster, you can get a book called Extreme Ownership. It costs sixteen ninety seven on Amazon. That's fine. We This podcast is free. There's... 400 something hours of us talking about this kind of thing so you can do that like I said If you can come to the muster, that's when you're gonna get basically a private jujitsu lesson You're gonna learn really granular things. You're gonna get the interaction face-to-face -face. You're gonna get to ask the specific questions about your world and you're gonna interact with people that are on the same path as you That's awesome If you can come come we'll, we'll see you at the muster that no green room thing mm -hmm. And we've talked about that before but that's that's a big deal. That's a bigger deal than it might seem, 
because you know how like how you said like okay you have a q a part or um you know like you have a, you have a specific question like hey that was cool what you just said but what about the you know like some people have questions so during the break when most times like at these conventions or whatever they got the you know the people they'll they'll say their what they have to say and then they'll go and they'll disappear yeah, yeah. straight up disappear They're gonna so get now, cucumbers on their eyes yeah whatever <laughs> grapes whatever and um but here it's like people are like hey that question that i had now i can go run and go go grab lay for jock or whatever and ask it like personally yeah it's what we have when during the break leif and i were on stage yeah with the break we say okay take a break come back in 12 minutes we step down off the stage and we stand right there yeah. and people just come and ask us more questions and we continue yeah. talking. And sometimes they, somebody asks such a good question that we're like, bring it back and we'll get back on yeah. stage and say, hey, someone just asked this question. Yeah. Here's the question. It's a great question. Yeah. It's the a whole problem. Time. That could, yeah, the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. 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 Even the kind in the, and this would happen to me a lot for some reason. They think I know, well, I guess I kind of know a little bit. They but come and ask you the leadership questions. Like in the hallway. That goes kind of, in the game. Like in the hallway. You know? so and I'm he's like, like oh, right. the best thing to do in that situation is you want to just kind of <laughs> cruise a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's. I was gonna say that's one of the, the other primaries to come to Musters. Echo Charles is gonna be there. And, and one of these days yeah. we're gonna get yeah. you on stage for a keynote presentation. Sure. Uh, and it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. You're gonna be right, right in your comfort zone. <laughs> Getting flanked. <laughs> All right. Moving on. That was the three questions about the muster, but they got asked. So here, knowing what you know about war and the teams, if you could go back in time, what would you have done differently? Man, I wish I could go back in time. Dave Burke and I were doing an event uh, earlier this week, and he was he he, he said, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not in Ramadi. I know Leif probably wishes he was in Ramadi 100. percent I would yeah. go there right now. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Um, and look, it's what I would do differently is the recognition that uh, we were super aggressive. We took a lot of risk. Um, what I would do differently is I would actually be even more aggressive. I would be a hundred times more aggressive. I would be putting up, you know, a, a concept of operations brief for your for your approval to send up the chain to swim across the river and hit targets and 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 you know put in some cyber overwatches and just completely ruin the bad guys program going on in South Central Mike when they had complete freedom movement before they had any expectation that we could be there before anybody could get to us. And I think. Uh, they would never see it coming, which means that uh, we would have more impact and it would actually be safer for us uh, because they wouldn't be expecting it. So they would probably hammer us, but we, we recognize that we could get away with a lot more um, you know, than, than we could. Uh, and mm -hmm. looking back on it, I just when you when you come into an area and they're like hey don't go in there you're all going to get killed you you, you want to be cautious you want to you don't want to uh, just jump into things you want to mitigate risk and control certainly uh, but we recognize we could get away with a lot more uh, th th than we thought we could and and more often than not bring bring guys home and of course that's the one thing I would change obviously if I could change if uh, I would trade places with Mark Lee and Ryan Job in my platoon in a second uh, I'd trade places with Mike Montour in Delta platoon in, in a second and I don't wish I could do that uh, and I can't, but uh, that is the that is what I would change. Um, but uh, I certainly would, uh, if we could go back there again, we would be even more aggressive, and we'd have even more impact. There's a term that that they used to say in the teams. I don't know if you ever heard it. You probably did. When we'd be doing special reconnaissance training, and guys would say, "Trust your camouflage." Did you ever hear that expression? You may not have. I don't. I don't believe so. So what it was was it, when you got good at putting your camouflage together, you could really get aggressive in getting up and observing a target. 
because if you trust your camo, if you've done a good job with your cami paint, your ghillie suit, and and, and putting yourself together well, the enemy's not going to be able to see you. But it's really weird to be, you know, 40 meters from a target that you're looking at, and there's a guy walking around, and you feel completely naked like they can see, but they can't see you at all. They can't see you at all. And so it takes some, it takes some time to learn to trust your camouflage. And I think, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. And when you look back at your Mahdi, like, you look back and you think to yourself, well, we could have done this and we could have done that. We could have gotten closer to that target. We could have done more things because our hindsight's twenty twenty. And also, we learned over time to trust our camouflage. And the longer we were there, the 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 more aggressive, you know, operations took place. But yeah, that's hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? That it is. <sighs> okay. Advice on restarting your life after the military. I think you just got to figure out what you want to do. Yeah, you got to figure out what I you want to do. I have a new mantra that I tell people now. It's, it's uh, f- find your next mission, and that's what you got to do. And I got I got really lucky because got right into this, and and you <laughs> you the same thing. Like we we went right into a new mission, and so any time to kind of wander around and look around and figure out which direction to go and by the way when you're wandering around and looking around to find out which direction to go you're gonna get pulled in a direction and that direction is probably gonna be the path of least resistance it's not gonna be a good path we certainly know it's not gonna be the path so when you come out when you get out of the military man have a mission figure out what your next mission is gonna be but I, I, I would disagree with you there in that it wasn't that we got lucky right in that and that if you think about what we're doing now okay. this is what we like to do and yep. this is what we we uh, we brought lessons back from Mahdi that we uh, we translated and, and gave to the next generation of SEALs and, and saw the impact that was happening. I mean, you, when you when you came back from Mahdi, you could have had any, any job that you wanted to, and you said, I want to go run training detachment because I want to make sure that the, the, the next uh, SEALs that are coming through this training and going forward to places like Iraq and Afghanistan are ready. Uh, you chose to do that, and, and I was running a training program that it, that's, I, would, I didn't want to be anywhere else in that. It was awesome, and I recognized how powerful that was uh, and, and the kind of reward it brought to me to see these young officers go out there that I put through training and, and succeed on, on incredibly difficult, dangerous battlefields in different areas that, that I'd been to. So you know, we, we took that and recognized, like, this is something that, that, that uh, is useful, it has impact, and, and that we can do for others. So I, I think that's, it was absolutely not the path of least resistance. And, and I got, you know, we had job offer, offers that people thought, people thought I was completely crazy. A buddy of mine was like, come work for me, we'll pay you know, this huge salary that was you know, triple what my Navy salary was. Uh, and I said, I'm not gonna do that, I'm gonna start my own business. I, I mean, he looked at me like I was nuts. Yeah, we were talking so, about yesterday because we weren't making a lot of money at the beginning of Echelon Front. Now were we? <laughs> yeah, we were. We 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 had to put it together. We were writing checks and paying for things and traveling on our own dime to to go and talk to companies and for yeah, free for free or, yeah. or for almost nothing. Yeah. So. And, and I think that's the, and that's really it is is finding your mission. Like yeah. this is what I can do, uh, and this is this is what I like to do, and and. I'm going to figure out a way to do something that is useful and impacts people. Uh, and I think that's, that's really key is finding that next mission for sure. Okay. Next question. I like this question. This, this question uh, made me think that whoever wrote this question has a good feel for like kind of the whole thing here. So the question was, is this question to Leif? What's Jocko's most impactful strategy on you when he says Leif gets real fired up? <laughs> 
<laughs> Definitely someone who's been listening to a lot of podcasts, yeah. uh, or maybe he's coming to the muster or heard, heard us uh, speaker talk before, because Jocko talks about angry life. Angry life. Angry uh, life. I can get angry. That's, not, that's like hothead, lie. right? Basically, be a little bit of a hothead. I can definitely be a hothead. You can be a lot and of bit of a hothead sometimes. I can't. And usually, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I'd like to think that it takes me, uh, I, I don't immediately spin up on things, but once I get spun up, I, I get really spun up. And uh, I don't know if you disagree with me. No, no, I, I, I agree. No, I was going to ask you, if, is, 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 uh, how's having two kids? For sure. That, that, that teaches you some temper control big time big yeah. time and it and, and particularly when you know when when there's there's timelines that you're trying to meet and we're trying to run a business kids or don't have a timeline do. they don't <laughs> kids they don't, don't have a timeline they just do oh, the timeline is now i want some crayons now and what i what i've loved is that i love spending time with my, my son and uh and, and my daughter and they're awesome kids and particularly my son now he's three he's old enough to kind of you know he, he he's in the game yeah we'll go we'll go somewhere and do something fun or or uh, we're hanging out and it doesn't matter if that's five minutes long or five hours long like when it's time to leave it's level 19 meltdown every time right mm -hmm. and he's he, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the time where he's like dad thank you for the time this is really <laughs> fun doesn't happen yeah. so so yeah that that actually instills in you some uh some patience some patience but it's the we always talk about red flags and that's something that I learned from you um, and, and that uh, and I know you were looking at for me to see like oh some red flags are going off red flags are those things that as you talked about often you recognize in yourself like okay I'm getting spun up right now I need to take a step back here and 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 throttle back yeah. I, I need to throttle back here because I'm getting spun up so so with kids I got to look at it as you know what this is good because because I know that's something that I, it's in my nature that I can get spun up so with kids I got to relish that opportunity to say, this is a training opportunity for me to be outside my comfort zone to say, oh, you know what? I feel myself getting spun up. I'm going to practice <laughs> detaching and spinning down and not, not reacting in a way that I might otherwise would have. Uh, and I think it's a great, it's a great uh, tool there really for, for me. I think what the, when Jocko would sense that in me, and we've talked about a number of times when that's happened here uh, on the podcast, that, uh, that I was getting spun up, you know, we talked about, you know, previous, uh, in, in previous podcasts about cancel the op and some of these things where I, you know, I just, uh, I would, I would get fired angry up life. and get angry yep. and, and you, what most people would have done in that situation, what I probably would have done to a subordinate leader is get, is, is get spun up as well. And like you yell at me now, I'm going to yell yeah. at you, but a little bit louder. Exactly, and how we're going to ramp up, and it becomes like the battle of wills. And and how you hand, you handle that exceptionally well with me was generally you would what well, you would never get spun up. You would just be very calm in your response, <laughs> and you would ask questions, or in some cases you would just start chuckling, like like laughing about it, like yeah, "Hey, yeah. man, you get spun," and not not in a way that yeah, was yeah, condescending yeah. or not like, like <laughs> yeah, "Look at you, you idiot." Yeah, yeah. It, it was in a yeah, way of you like, don't want to laugh at people when they're getting mad. Yeah, yeah it was in a way of like, "Hey, man." Take it easy. Yeah, just take it easy. <laughs> and, and then you start laughing about it. And it was, it was and then it, it just, that was something that was, would, would you ask questions in a way that were, hey, well, why, why do you think this? Or and those things, that was powerful as well to me. That wasn't, it wasn't uh, like, hey, well, why are you doing this? Or why won't you listen to me? And, and it was, that always allowed me to kind of take a step back and recognize, okay. So, so I think you, you got to make sure you see a red flag in somebody else. They're getting spun up and they're really emotional. You need to be unemotional and you need yep. to, you need to check your ego to, to do an end around. I'd never see anybody do that before. You did that exceptionally well, uh, against me. And, uh, and I learned a lot from that because I recognize like I got to do that better and it never, it just doesn't benefit you from getting spun up and angry. And, and, and I'll tell you one thing that's, uh, another little thing that I noticed that I do for sure is if someone comes at me. And they're super mad about something 
I can't just be a hundred percent calm because if if you come in the room and you go jock all this crap the We're getting told to do this thing over here. This is total crap. We shouldn't be told to do this and if I go Leif just calm down. It's not that big of a deal like r- right there I've already taken right because you're like well, what are you talking about? It's not I, big I, I tried that with my wife uh, Jenna <laughs> yeah. at times. So it doesn't work <laughs> yeah. very well the so, opposite uh, uh, What you have to do is you have to be you have to show some uh, uh, we'll call it a diminished reflection of the emotion that they're showing. You wanna, you wanna take a little off of it, but you know, oh my, uh, Leif, are you serious? They're telling us to do that. Oh man, that's 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 crap. All right, let's let's find out what's going on. So now, instead of being against you, now all of a sudden I'm on your side. I've calmed down a little bit. I've brought you down a little bit, but you at least recognize that I'm on your side. Because if I just if I just say, Leif, calm down. Getting mad is not going to help. <laughs> like you're going to get even madder. Or if I say you need to think about what they're saying, no, 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 I need to join your side first. Once I'm on your side, now we can talk and we can move through the problem effectively. So you might want to just show a little diminished reflection of the per. Of, you know, if someone's really sad about something, okay, you know, you can't just be like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, I got I got kids, right? I got I got teenage girls, and you know, they get sad about stuff. Um, and, and I can't just, you know, I, I've tried it before. Like, don't worry about that. It will mean nothing in three years. I've done that. I'm like, by the time you graduate high school, you won't even think about that anymore. <laughs> Stop. How you does know, that work? It doesn't work good <laughs> because you realize that that's the whole world to them. So, you know, instead you got to say, ah, oh, man, I can't believe that happened. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's 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 sad, you know, but the good thing is here's some good points about it. And maybe, you know what I mean? So just don't. Be completely emotionless because then the person can't relate to you. And if they can't relate to you, you're not going to be able to talk about it. If you can't talk about it, you're not going to make any progress on the subject. Be careful with that one. All right. Want to hear more HDH in Vegas? Do we talk about the HDH hands? On one of the other podcasts, yeah, we talked okay. about it. So, hundred dollar uh, hands podcast, in Vegas. Po- listen to podcast eleven if you want to hear about uh, Mark Lee some of our shenanigans in Vegas. We did have. Uh, there were there were a couple of good stories in Vegas. We you know we that was a, a crazy boondoggle trip. But one of them that I, that I did uh, remember well was we had this giant convoy of Humvees, mm. and uh, we were uh, coming up to a major intersection just off the, the Vegas Strip, uh, a red light. Because we, we were dri- just so everyone knows we were yeah. driving. We, we drove the the Humvees to a range to do work up in that area. Uh, uh, is it an Air Force range? Nellis Nellis Air Force yeah. Base. So it's a Nellis range where they do training up there and we had taken the Humvees from one base on civilian roads to another base and we'd spent the day training there and now it was time to come back to base so we're back on civilian roads again in a in a convoy of Humvees what five trucks probably so five Humvees and we had done a, a drill where we had the we I was always big on you train how you fight right so that means if we're driving Humvees guess what we're doing we're mounting weapons we're gonna we're gonna be ready to get after it if we have to not that we're gonna have to get after it in Vegas, but we're gonna we're gonna test things because if you're not used to swinging that gun around up in the up in the turret, then you're not used to it. So you got to practice. So we were basically in in full kind of kit. I think we actually had the whole task in us. I think we had like eight or ten Humvees. It was it was it was a big bigger Check. convoy. Check. But uh, yeah, so we come up to we're coming up to a red light. The red light starts to turn yellow, and the lead the the lead navigator. Um, you know, this is a major intersection. Uh, you know, two four-lane roads that are coming up, coming up to. Uh, he's, he gives the command blow through, which means that uh, we're just if you get you're in an ambush and people are shooting at you and you're just going to keep rolling. And he says blow through. 
So we literally have the entire convoy behind him, like running this red light at a major, major intersection. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we're going to be standing tall in front of yeah, the admiral. This one, this is, this is not good. One. We don't want to do that. Because in, in like in Iraq, you wouldn't stop at a red light, or you wouldn't stop at a stop sign. You you know you obviously the lead vehicle would check close enough, and then you you're traveling really tight. And you make sure there's no cars coming, but yeah, you're just going to blow through. You're not going to stop. And so that yeah, the call came out to blow so, through. So which would have been a, get in trouble for that? It, which it would have been a fine. Well, luckily we had some heads up drivers that stopped at the at the their green light and and, and saw us coming, or maybe they were intimidated by guys with fifty cal machine guns in, in the turret. But uh, definitely, uh, you know, that's one of those things where it's hard for guys to turn it off sometimes. And when you're when you're doing tactical driving on the range, as if you were in. Uh, a combat scenario, and all of a sudden you're on the the street. Yeah, see uh, that, that again. This is hard. I should have been said, okay, guys, we're going back on civilian roads. Stand down. You know what I mean? I should have said that, but I didn't say that because I'm dumb. And I well, you know, we 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 made the f- assumption, which turned out to be false, yeah. that people would automatically know that, and yeah. they didn't. So, yeah. So so we had to tighten that up, but uh, that was just one one lesson learned from our our Vegas trip that was shenanigans. Yeah, it was good times. I'm surprised I didn't get in more trouble for that. One of the one of your guys, we were in a he was a designated driver. We're in a Navy van, and we go from one place. We we knew someone, and we were out, out in town, and we went from there to downtown. To go to you know the bars right in Vegas we're pulling into a parking garage and you know how they have that metal pipe that says you know six foot two inch clearance mm-hmm. or whatever the clearance was it was a very low parking garage so he's got this big Navy van we come in and we we s- kind of hit that and I'm I'm sitting in the back and, and you know what this is a classic example of a decentralized command I'm not gonna step on the toes the guys the designated driver I, I wasn't drink or I probably had a few drinks or whatever but I wasn't definitely wasn't intoxicated and, but I see, oh, like I look out and I see, oh, we, we kind of hit that thing. And so we go around the corner and then we start to actually enter the, the parking garage. And as we go underneath the first concrete beam, the, the, it's, you can hear it. It scrapes against the ceiling, but it scrapes hard and the vehicle comes to a stop. And what does the driver do? Again, this is the designated driver. What does he do? He starts pressing down the gas. He's just gonna power <laughs> through this. Through. And I'm, I'm in the back. I go, dude, blow through. I'm like, yeah. dude, what are you doing? Stop. What are you gonna rip the roof off of the vehicle? <laughs> like back out of here and leave. He's like, well, I thought I could have made it. <laughs> oh man, one yeah. one good uh, team guy shenanigans uh, that we were talking about was uh, me, you, and the Delta commander. Delta platoon commander rolling, uh, rolling up to Santa Barbara. I think you actually came up to me and said, "Tenacious D, oh, are you in?" See Tenacious D, yeah. So for those of you who may not know, Jocko is a huge Tenacious D fan. The and, D, uh, the D, and I think that's that's how it came out. You're like the D. They're in Santa Barbara. Let's go road trip. Road trip, road gig, road gig. <laughs> <laughs> so we jumped in. Uh, yeah, of all the things that you gave me, you gave me a copy of About Face. Um, by David Hackworth when when, uh, when we were working together to you Bruiser uh, at the end of our, our our tour together and you gave me the the set to the uh, the DVDs to Tenacious D there you me go. and the Delta Tank there you so, go that's the dichotomy yeah. of leadership right there <laughs> Hackworth about face the Tenacious D yeah so we found out Tenacious D was having uh, having a concert up in Santa Barbara you know we're all stationed here in San Diego and and we jumped in uh, Jocko's. Dodge Grand, 1997 Dodge Grand Caravan, 1997 Sweet. Dodge. Grand A lot Caravan. of people just called it the Pimp Wagon. 
Because it was hard to keep the ladies off <laughs> when you're rolling in. This the is, the, were, the were, window was taped shut on the driver's side. Uh, yeah. it's, t- it's riggers taped shut. Hard you know, you weren't getting in there. No, yeah, yeah, that yeah. thing was shut because the little electrical thing broke. <laughs> so we're uh, we're we're cheap bastards, so we're not going to spend the night up there. I think we actually had work to do maybe the next yeah, day. So we probably. jump we jump in the van. Jock, I think you drove up there. We rock out to the Tenacious D concert the D. in uh, Santa Barbara. We uh, we bought Jocko a T-shirt. Uh, yeah, still got it. The Sasquatch is real. <laughs> the Sasquatch is real. And uh, I I remember driving back at about it was about three o'clock in the morning. We were like passing through Camp Pendleton uh, as kind of where our ranges are there. As, as on the way back down, we just acapella singing to every tenacious d zone that uh, we we knew by heart we're gonna make a new band it's gonna be called acapella d <laughs> <laughs> that was a good time yeah yeah that was uh pretty fun all right tenacious d what are your daily non-negotiable habits Leif babin my daily non-negotiable habits mm-hmm Usually I want to uh, sleep in about 1030 10 30 a.m. Just uh, <laughs> eat some donuts <laughs> Listen, I mean I, I the, the, at the end of the day this one equals freedom it, It's a mantra that I learned from you and that it's it's just absolutely true. And if you gotta um, You gotta get up in the morning and work out on the, on the there's some days I frankly I can't do that because life gets in the way whether I'm if I'm traveling or uh, my my kid wakes up early, and I know you know I've been out of town, and my, my wife wants to get a workout in before the, the day starts. So I'll take the kids so she can do that, and we can we can rotate out. You know, so so I can't tell you that always happens, um, but you got to get up early. You you got to work out, and, and you have to you have to prioritize and execute, and, and having that checklist that you put together the night before about what you want to do uh, and what's important is is absolutely critical. Otherwise, you you lose it. And you know, for me and Jocko, and for all of us at, at our team. On echelon front, like it, it's when we get away from the things that that we talk about to people, we're human beings like everybody else, and we can get pulled in different directions. When we get away from those things, it, it doesn't work. Things start to fall apart. You lose you lose track of where the priorities are. If, if I can't regularly detach, that's something that I have to really focus on to do. Is, is is to regularly detach. If I'm grinding on something for two or three or four hours at a time, sometimes it's easy to miss other things that are that are coming up. And I, and I got to make sure I pull away from things, kind of kind of think about the prior, prioritize and execute piece. Figure out, you know, if I need to reprioritize and and so I don't get target fixated on one thing and and, and keep going. But uh, I, I think for me, you know, I, I, what I want to do is I, I try to make time to spend time with my family as much as I can as well. And obviously, there's a, there's a there's a lot of work to do. There always is, um, and uh, and it's. You know those things. Um, the the when 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 I can stay consistent on getting up early in the morning, getting a workout in, you know, stay focused on a list that I have from the night before that I'm following through all the things that you talk about. Uh, that's I, I'm 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 performing better than I ever do. That's all the how time. you win. It works. At the end of the day, there's what works and there's what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's how you win. Check. Tell us about a time you were annoyed with Jocko or his intensity. Annoyed with Jocko or his intensity. Um, you know what? We uh, we got along pretty damn well together, and uh, and I think uh, there's not uh, there's not really any time that comes to mind that I was annoyed by you, except for maybe you know what what we mentioned earlier, right? When the times when initially when we were working together, and you're looking over my shoulder and and telling me to do like hey, we should do this way. Let's 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 plan it like that. That I, I definitely got got annoyed from that time. I felt like. 
I want to run my, you know, everyone's trying to tell me what to do here. And Jocko's looking over my shoulder. And I want to run, run my team. Just, just as I explained earlier. Um, and, and I, I didn't realize until later, like what you were doing. You're like, Hey, you're, you're passing, uh, you're passing on a lot of great information. And I see that all the time, actually with, with people, because if, if I could have detached from that situation, I would have recognized like, Hey, I'm a new platoon commander. I've never been a platoon commander. Jocko was just a platoon commander. He had a highly successful platoon commander tour. He had a historic deployment where he did a whole bunch of operations. Uh, and he's got a ton of lessons learned. So what an amazing opportunity to learn everything from him. But that's not the way you approach it, right? It's like <laughs> ego, my yeah. ego. And, and I see that all the time. And yeah, yeah. there we was a, there was a leader, time. um, a leader I was dealing with where I was talking to a, a member of the board, um, for this particular leader who was constantly bucking against the, you know, this guy's, and I, it was, it's amazing to me though to see like, Hey, the, the CEO of this company who's pushing back and September of the board, like th- he should be so thankful that the member of the board has, who's got massive amounts of experience, extraordinary success is, is there to mentor and train him. And yet he doesn't want to listen to that guy. I want to do it myself. You're always over my shoulder. Instead of being like, hey, man, open up the legal pad. Let's take some notes here. I want, I want to pick your brain for everything. I want to, you know, it's, it's and, and I think just recognize if you're feeling that way and you're frustrated with, with, with somebody who's uh, looking over your shoulder, then, then you need to take advantage of the situation to learn from them uh, and certainly build up trust. The, the way to get out of that situation is to build up trust to show that you, you're learning, you're growing, and, and that you don't need someone to look over your shoulder every second. And usually that comes even after we got forward and you just unleashed us on the battlefield. I, I would always come to you and be like, hey, Jocko, what do you think about this? We're going to do this situation. I wasn't looking to you to tell me what to do, uh, but I was running things by you. And, and we do that all the time now. Yeah. That's not front. Absolutely. Well, I, I call Jocko up and say, hey, here's what's going on. I'm working with this leader. Uh, you do the same. I mean, we, we talk about these things all the time. Yeah. And, well, and, and that it's actually awesome. that yeah. what's what's interesting about that is that in the last six months, that idea has really become formalized in, in the tank, which is where we take the companies that we're working with and we whoever's working specifically with us with a specific company on the ground is coming back to the tank all, all the echelon front team and we we get on the call or the skype or the conference room and we go through all the issues that all these different companies are having and that's where we solve the problems is in the tank so that way we get everyone's input and not only do we give the best solution to the client we also all learn from it so that we have that solution in our head, so be, we all get stronger and better. So that's that's one of the evolutions in National Front that's p- pretty awesome to see is what started off as just like how we would run TU Bruiser, which is, hey, we're going to bounce ideas off each other, and hey, I, I don't know how to solve this problem to you, or hey, I don't know how to do this operation to you, or this is what I think, what do you think, which is the way a, a team should work together. And now what we do is we get to do that for other companies, use the same brain power, use the same methodology, and it's it's awesome to do, and it's awesome to see. It is awesome. The tank. Yeah, getting in the tank. Uh, all right, Leif, you were, for those of you that don't know, Leif was a ship driver for how many years? Before, so Leif Three from the Naval Academy, didn't get picked up for SEAL teams right out, didn't get picked up for BUDS right out of the Naval Academy, so he had to go to a ship. Here's a question about, not about that specifically, but, uh, Leif, what are your thoughts on a ship's captain being relieved of command and what to do if you are involved? And he would like to know from the ship's captain's perspective that is being relieved because of the mistakes of your crew or if you're in the crew and the captain's getting re- getting relieved even though you made the mistakes. What, do you, what are your perspectives on that? Well, look, I, I, 
just to, to give people some background on that, I know we, and I've talked about my background on Podcast 11, but but it was, I never wanted to be a ship driver. I wanted to be a SEAL. That's why I went to the Naval Academy. Uh, I got thrust in that position. Looking back on it, it was it was an amazing opportunity for me as a young man to have, uh, to be in those leadership positions. And I, I enjoyed my time on, on the How ship. How much does a warship cost to build? Billions. A billion, a couple billion yeah, dollars. It's crazy. So you're, yeah. you're, you're, Sometimes you're the guy, right? You're a lieutenant JG on the bridge of a two billion dollar ship, and you're in charge of all. Yeah, that and when power. you're when you're the officer of the deck, yeah. like you're the guy in charge. The captain's asleep right. in in his cabin, and he's got all full, full faith and trust in you, and you're running the ship. And, and so there's know, the question yeah. right there. Sometimes the captain's a ship asleep in the cabin, and he runs, and 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 the crew runs the ship aground. The captain gets fired. What do you think about that? That is the Navy way. It's uh, it's always been that way. Uh, and uh, I think it's 100% correct because there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. And, and I think that if you have, um, even if the captain wasn't in direct responsibility, it's his job to train that team. Yep. It's his job to mentor that team. And if he's got questions about whether or not somebody is uh, has the capability to do that job, uh, then, then they shouldn't be in that position. It's up. It's up. It's up. It's up to the, the captain. Now, the captain can't be everywhere at once, so it's decentralized command. He has to rely on his leaders. But uh, it's, um, it, it, it's definitely. Uh, it, I think ultimately, the, the the captain is responsible, and that's that's really what extreme ownership is about. I had a client ask me a question yesterday. Uh, have you ever sent anyone to do something that they weren't ready to do? And I thought about it for a minute, and. The first thought was, well, of course. The second thought was, no. The real answer is it's a gray area, right? Did I ever send somebody to do something that they weren't 100%? If I put this quantification on 100% ready for it? All the time. All the time. Uh, how often did I s send somebody to do something that they weren't capable of doing? The answer is zero. In other words, if you weren't capable of doing this and I didn't trust that you could make it happen, I wasn't going to let you do it. That'd be irresponsible for me as a leader to let a subordinate go and do something that they're not ready to do. That's it, period. Or they're not 100% ready to do or they're No, not, not 100%, but they're not capable of doing. But, I mean, when we first got to Ramadi, in your mind, you probably weren't 100% ready to go out there and execute. Particularly because we've been training for a mission with just SEALs. You yeah. know, for, for, for roll-up assaults or direct action raids, you know, at, at nighttime, and all of a sudden we're shifting to daytime counterinsurgency operations, working with Iraqi soldiers, completely different mission. Yeah. Broken up in all these different units. We hadn't trained, we hadn't trained like that. In a violent war zone, by the way. But I, you know, I had trust that you were completely competent and capable of doing that. And if I didn't think that, and I didn't think you were competent, or I didn't think you were capable, then I, I, I would be... A bad leader if I said yeah, go ahead and go go do that and and then I answered the question further to this client I said there was two people from task unit bruiser that didn't go on deployment with us Because they weren't capable of doing that job. So yes, you as a leader you're responsible and I was thinking about this There's been times where Navy ships have run aground and the captain wasn't even on board He had flown to somewhere to go do a meeting somewhere the ship runs aground guess what still getting fired because you left someone in charge that you left that team you didn't train them well enough and you can make all the excuses you want I wasn't there yeah well guess what you're still getting fired because you were responsible for that team so I think part of that too is the understanding you know what no bad teams only bad leaders with the chapter two we wrote you know in extreme ownership 
is is about the part of that is I have seen some people that misinterpret that right to say well I, I got a bad leader so the team's not good mm-hmm. that that's not an excuse oh. so when we're talking about leadership we're talking about leaders at every level of the organization so yeah. so you know if you're if you're if you're a department head on that ship or a division officer or a division chief uh, and you say oh I got a bad I got a bad uh, commanding officer. It's all the commanding officer's fault. Our ship doesn't doesn't perform the way it should. Whatever your team is, that's not an excuse. You you got to do your utmost to get your team ready to train others around you uh, and and lead that team as much as you possibly can. You don't have to be the senior guy in charge. And often some of the best units we worked with, and we're part of the senior guy. May not he may not have been the guy driving the operations, but he allowed his leaders to to go out and execute and and make it happen. So. Leadership. We're talking. We're talking leaders at every level of the organization. It's not an excuse to put the blame on the boss. Uh, you got to step up. You got to lead uh, and own your team. Solve problems. Get better. Learn from mistakes and make it happen. What does it mean when a ship runs aground? I mean, literally, it hits dirt. Oh, <laughs> straight. <laughs> That's up. what it means. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, in th- in this case, we're talking ship collisions. Yeah. This, this is, is so running aground is one thing. Uh, the um, you know, and there's an argu- there is an argument to be said, like because some of our greatest leaders, like uh, Admiral Fleet Admiral Chester Nimitz, who was the hero of the Pacific War, was uh, I've quoted him, you know, on this uh, on this podcast previously. Uh, he was the commander in chief of all U.S. forces in the Pacific, so he was he was the 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 person responsible for the entire war effort against the Japanese in World War II and, and that victory, uh, a massive effort, obviously, and an extraordinary turnaround uh, from from disaster to to a victory. He, he actually ran a ship aground as, as, a, as a junior officer. So, so there's, you know, there's an argument to be made that there is no, fl- you know, the flawless performance. It doesn't exist, and people make mistakes and can learn from it. Um, uh, you know, I, as far as ships running aground, um, you know, that, that's one thing. I, I think, you know, you can make a care- careful evaluation. What we're talking about here is specifically said ship collisions. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, those, those should not happen. That just, that should not happen. I understand how easily that can happen because it, it, there's a, these are huge machines that go very fast and you're out on the ocean with other other ships that are moving around and there's a whole lot of dangerous and things it takes that, that some of those big ships yeah. takes miles to stop yeah. them mm. like even if you see and you go okay hit all full brakes right now it doesn't matter it's, you're still going to hit you, absolutely you know you're going to get hit for like 10 minutes yep you know it's you can't stop it you just brace for impact yeah but but if you've got you've got the right team in place they know what they're doing you know they're, they're, there's all kinds of safe safeguards in place and if that team's properly trained like that should not happen it, it should not it's, it's like you should be able to the airplane should land safely all the horrible things that could go wrong when you're flying in an airplane and landing in a crazy airport like JFK yeah. or you know or LAX you're flying into Hong Kong yeah that's a doozy too yeah so those, those kind of things that are crazy so but there's a lot of things that go wrong but if, if it's done properly and, and safeguards are in place you, you're gonna you're gonna be fine so 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 but there's again it, it doesn't mean that you know we expect flawless performance that no one's ever going to make mistakes uh, i think if, if a mistake isn't that bad it should be forgiven uh, but there isn't there just isn't an excuse of like well it wasn't me somebody else on my team did it that's the opposite of extreme ownership it doesn't work doesn't work check next i this is for late well i guess yeah yes it is for life i heard you say it is important to think I heard Jocko say this too. How do you think? Meaning, how do you talk to yourself? Do you ask yourself questions? Do you think by talking to others? What do you believe is the most valuable method for becoming a clear thinker and communicator? That's a deep question. I actually think it's pretty easy to answer. <laughs> it is easy to answer, I think. I can answer it in one word. Go. Detach. 
that's 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 how I think. You you can't. You got to step out. You got to step back mentally. You got to step back. Look at what's going on, and think. And that's where you can think about it. That's where you can figure out what's going on. Mm. If you can do that, you're there. If you can't do it, you don't even know you're not doing it. That's the problem. Mm. When you're not detached, you don't even know you're not detached. You're in the storm, and you don't even know it. That's so uh, watch out for. Uh, that's exactly right. And I, but I think. You know, for people that maybe don't fully understand what that means, right? The, the, this, this idea of the task, which you've obviously talked a lot about on here, and which is such a key thing for decision making. It, it's the the I think the key thing there is is to make sure that that you're not you're not clouded by you know this emotional attachment to plans, which we often mm-hmm. talked about with our leaders in the SEAL team. So I'm emotionally invested in a plan that I came up with. I spent hours or days or weeks or months, you know, in, involved in, uh, and, and I want that to succeed, of course. But but is that, you know, I got to have that realistic assessment. And, and that's what the detachment really requires is that you, you pull yourself not just physically away, you know, out, out of the weeds or to say, okay, let me think about this in the strategic picture. But you really, you take away that emotional investment that you have to, to maybe even whether it's a plan, sometimes it's a team member as well. And if you have, you know, someone that you just have a close relationship with that you, you know, that, whether they're a relative of yours or you've had a long standing relationship with and, and that maybe you've gotten too close to them and you can't see that, that, you know, they become more important than the mission and they're dragging the rest of the team down. And you're not making the, the, the call either tighten them up or let them go if that's, that's the right case. So I think what that really requires is you got to emotionally pull back. It's a, it's a, it's a mental thing to, to really have a brutally honest assessment of the situation. Uh, that's, that's independent from any kind of, uh, previous bias that you might've had. That's interesting there because even if you know, like, Oh yeah, I'm going to detach. Oh, it's not that easy. Yeah. Like you you can't just go through the motions. You can't be like, Hey, I'm going to detach. I'm detached right now. Meanwhile, you're just like I said, clouded by the emotional part that you're like kind of one foot in emotionally. So you're, technically not detached so it doesn't work you know what else is a good way to think is to listen do listen to what people are saying I've been thinking about how more how he said if you listen you know twice as much you know everything that you know and you know everything that the other guy knows yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great yeah. that's a great thing but if you're sitting in a in a conversation I mean from a business perspective if you're in a meeting and and there's a conversation going on if you're in the conversation you're talking you're adding your piece well then you're you're not detached you're in it but if you sit back and you listen and you hear what's going on you can assemble you know thoughts better so all right next when can we expect any books to come out by either of you and what are they going to be like extreme ownership or way of the warrior kid so I also had a book out called Discipline Equals Freedom. It's a field manual, by the way. Sure. You familiar with the field manual? I Echo, am. you claim to be familiar with field manuals. My favorite That's kind of manual, does. yeah. Okay. Sure. Way the Warrior Kid 2 is coming out in April. It's called Mark's Mission. And we are in the process of writing. Leif Babin, tell me about that. Yes, we are. We're getting after a second book right now. It's a follow-on book to Extreme Ownership. And uh, I'm super excited about it. It's it's uh, it's going to be in the same format. We talk about combat combat lessons learned on the battlefield or in training, and then a principle, and then its application to the business world uh, in the same in the same format as extreme ownership. And and what it really is is it's to answer all of the questions and difficulties that people have from applying the principles. We get these common questions all the time of like, okay, I'm having this issue, and okay, you said take ownership here, but. But uh, what does that really mean, and, and or how do I apply a cover move, you know, to my team? 
these uh, it's going to dive much deeper into that, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be also going to be coming out fall of 2018. How do you feel about writing a sequel? It's uh, it's not a sequel. It's going to be a standalone book on its own. It's going to be good. Okay, I I, th- I think it's nerve wracking because you know what? Have you ever seen the movie Jaws? Yes, yes. That's one of my favorite movies. Have you ever seen the movie Jaws two? Yes. We got issues with Jaws two. <laughs> we got issues. Yeah. And this is what I think. So I think again, I'll call it luck. Maybe not, but I call it luck. Luckily, for us, this book has sold really well. That if we would have written a sequel a year after this book came out, it would have been Jaws two. To be honest with you, but luckily during because now it's been two years since this came out so we've had and and by the way a follow-up year if we, if we would have re- released a book if, if the publishers going release another book release another book you will we'll pay you more money that's what they do they want you to release another book now we got some hype from this book we'll get yeah, another yeah. one out there and Leif and I were like well no not right now mm-hmm. S- just stop and We'll let time write another book. Well, I did write another book, but they're not the same, right? We don't we want we don't want to make Jaws too, so we let time go. And guess what we were doing all the time that we that we had passed, right? We weren't sitting around. No, we were working with more companies. We were working with more military units. We were working with police. We were working with firefighters. We were having the muster. We were learning more and more lessons, and we were getting feedback from this book and saying, okay, I see some threads. And at first it was one little thread, and it was another little thread, and now all of a sudden all those threads come together, and you get something. You get you get a fabric, and that's what we waited for is let's get something that is a woven fabric that's gonna be strong like Kevlar. So the next book that we got coming out, I disagree with you that it's a standalone book. I don't think it's a standalone book. Are you gonna retract your statement? I'm gonna give you a chance. <laughs> you should. I do retract my statement. Because I, because yeah. it is, I mean, the new book. I thought you were setting me up for a, uh, an ambush there. No. You just <laughs> dangling uh, out there? Like, yeah. No. It's, it, it, I'm sure you could read the new book on, your, on its own, but you shouldn't you should read extreme ownership first and Then you read the new book and when you read the new book It's gonna again all those threads are gonna weave together and and and, and They're gonna be the perfect it's gonna be they're gonna complement each other amazing in amazing way I, I think that's in that in that method or in from, from that perspective. Absolutely. I, I think it, absolutely it is It is a sequel in that perspective I, it it will be written in a way that that you can read it as a standalone book for, for sure uh, It will certainly reference uh, you know the things that we talked about in extreme ownership and the foundational principles upon which that, that that's written I think there are a few exceptions though to your jaws analogy and, a, lot, uh, a lot actually yeah, oh, uh, I mean, I can think that Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. Yeah, Terminator. Yeah, Terminator Two, yeah. Judgment Day. But it does um, have a lot to do with how you said, "Hey, let's wait a little bit." Yeah, so that's true. You can't just start unless the whole story well, that you on purpose right? are going to do. That's it. the difference because if you just, oh, we had a hit movie, make another one right, right now. Yeah. Jaws Two. Yeah, that's a good title. Yeah. Jaws was a hit. Let's make another one. Yeah, we'll just, call it Jaws Two. Yeah, <laughs> but if they would have waited, like Terminator, they waited yeah. like what eight years or so. Then it's like, okay, a lot of things are updated, a lot of new stuff they figured out. Yeah. Just like how you were saying, the boom, Terminator 2, just as good. Aliens. Aliens. Mm. Well, Aliens crossed Aliens the was, first movie. Was the, that pretty quick afterwards, though? The second movie, Aliens crossed the first movie. Really? Yeah. So I, 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 I'll, to be totally honest with it's you. It's a gamble, though. No, I actually, I don't know, because I'm, I'm halfway, a little bit more than halfway done with my writing part, right? Before we start editing each other. 
I think I think we might have an uh, a sequel that's better. I don't know. I, I have a suspicion that the sequel's better, possibly better. So. I, I think so too. It's been it's super fun to write, you yeah. know, as we're doing it. And I think, as you said, our, our knowledge is so much more now. I mean, we our knowledge of the business world was was. You know, we we'd been working for a couple, you know, two or three years in the yeah. business world at that point, uh, but but now we've got double, more than double that, and yeah. and and the reach and expansion of, of of what we've been doing since the release of Extreme Ownership is it's it's a hundred x what we were doing, you know, previously. So uh, that's just given us it's been a, a massive education and and uh, our knowledge of how to apply these things across the spectrum, yeah, is incredibly um, uh, so much so much deeper than than it was previously, and and uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be good. Next question is, how long does it take to prepare for a muster? And when, when we read this question earlier, I thought it was the person asking how long it would take this individual, me, or whoever, a, a, a person out in the world to get ready to go to the muster. Oh, yeah. And the, the answer to that is it doesn't take you any time. You just, I mean, you should read Extreme Ownership for sure, but there's no, like, big physical... There, there's physical things that you do at the muster, but they're scaled that anybody can do them So it's really you don't need to do any major preparation other than put your ego in check I, I think the biggest preparation you need is is to Look at yourself in the mirror and and write down the, the where you're weakest and where you need to work I mean, that's what we want to talk. I don't, I don't care where you're doing great We're not there to pat you on the back We want to care like where you can get better and everyone can get better Certainly, you can prove all the time, and I think that's what you need to do. I had thought this question was about how we prep for the muster, yeah. which See, is it's substantial. Always about, it's always about which him. is substantial. Always yeah. about yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> all about me all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's it is a ton of work to prepare for the muster, but which is it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's great. We enjoy it. Uh, random question: In your experience, have you had or do you see high injury rates in jujitsu? Want to start rolling again, but don't want to disrupt progress on the barbell. The barbell. Oh yeah, mm. sure. What was that bench? Or it's something? possible I am being a weak suck, although not probable. Yeah. Risk assessment. What do you think? Can you get injured in jujitsu? Yes. Yeah, just like you get it, injured you playing basketball. Injured playing basketball. Actually, you'll get injured playing basketball quicker than jujitsu. That's think. very. As likely. far as injured yeah, goes. Yeah, as far as injured goes. Yeah. I will. I, the, the the key part about this question, for me, is you want to keep m- making progress on the barbell, right? Yeah. So you want to keep getting stronger. Yeah. That's cool. I want you to be stronger. Mm-hmm. But if you're super strong and you don't know how to fight, I got nothing for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> a deeper thing too. And keep this in mind, though. And this goes for any physical activity. Like if your goal physically is this thing, and then you start going hard in another direction, it could very well. Take away from oh, it's gonna pursuit. take away. You're you you're not gonna reach your maximum potential as yeah. a weightlifter. Yeah, if you if you're doing jujitsu yeah, for sure, or swimming, or swimming, or, or anything else, or no. whatever. Yeah, yeah. You got to find the balance. But I mean, what's the most important? What's a more important skill to have? Yeah, be able to snatch big weight, or be able to defend yourself in a street fight. Yeah. Hey, the snatching big weight's gonna help you defend yourself. Yeah, big time. We 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 appreciate that. We're fans. Yeah. But prioritize. Yeah. Now, what's interesting. Is on a daily basis. I always work out, but I don't always do jujitsu because you can't. You need you need someone to train with. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you need someone fully. to do jujitsu with. You can't do jujitsu by yourself. Yeah. So sometimes you don't have anyone to train with. Look, I think from my perspective as a, as a white belt, it's it's uh, I, I've trained enough. You got to be getting close to that blue belt. 
We'll, uh, I, I got a lot, lot more work to do. Certainly, a lot more right work to on. do. I'm, it's, not, uh, it's not up to him. Anyway. You guys, yeah, that's true. You guys have inspired me. I'm training, training hard. Got a, got a great place. I'm training down in, in Texas now. Jean Jacques Machado, awesome, awesome. Todd White. Todd White, right? Yeah, Todd White. Todd White's an awesome guy. Yeah, yes. if you're an awesome. And, uh, and this, the, the type of people there. that train in there. I mean, it's it's, and that's that's what I like about. It. And that's that, that's you know, same thing with the place I, I train in New York. It, it's just that to me has. Uh, I think if you're constantly getting injured all the time, like you're not training with the right people, yep. and you're not training in the in the right manner. Uh, something that I learned years ago, and when I was on the boxing team, the Naval Academy, me and, and my buddies, you know, who were kind of scrubs, we didn't travel with the team, but we just beat the piss out of each other every every day, and no one could breathe out of their nose, and everyone had black eyes, and then you watch the guy who were, was the guys who were really skilled. They sparked, but they were working on form. They were, you know, they, they weren't just knocking each other's heads off every punch, every time, you know, every single day. And, and I think that's, Get some. <laughs> that's, that's where you have to, it's great to train hard, but I think you need to train smart. And I think you, you need to, the biggest thing, I'm guessing this person is probably, um, hasn't trained that much so that they, they spin up. Dave Burke and I were just rolling, you know, here at Victory last night. And, uh, I was, uh, I was, I was tell, telling Dave, you know, Dave's, he's made some progress. He's been training out in uh, Virginia. I was like, cool, man, you're, you're doing good. But he's, he gets so amped up that he can't detach. So he, he can't detach because mm-hmm. he's, he's gets so amped up. And it's, it's, I realized I used to just be in that. I've trained enough now. I still might be the white belt, but I've trained enough now to know that, uh, that I've got, uh, I've got to, to throttle that back because it's, it, I, I, you get so focused, right? I, I'm going to focus on my one little white belt Americana I'm trying to get, you know, or armbar <laughs> versus versus like no, detach and think for Sounds the like four Dave or Burke five. Is getting uh, nuts, dude. Yeah, he gets nuts a little bit. Does. So did you train with him? I yeah, we did. Like uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So he it was funny because we were rolling nuts. around. I mean, he is is. Uh, uh, and, and at one point, I'm, I'm like laughing at him because he's literally like, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of breathing, like Dave. In his just defense, relax, though, bro, it's like you know when you breathe, when you feel, hear yeah. somebody breathing hard like that. Typically, it's like when you're they're right in your ear, so it's yeah. it sounds way hey, more intense. Than hey, it really what about is. the time? It, it could have been period. also because I had a little 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 elbow pressure. Yeah. What about the time period you when you're in, like kind of starting jujitsu? <laughs> and Dave Burke might be in this situation right now. It's it's the very early in jujitsu. Where in your mind, you think like, you know what? Like, I'll be able to. I, I think I'll be able to get like Jocko, right? <laughs> sure. Like I'll be like like hey man, if I, I, I they, they learn some little move and they're like, oh, if I throw this at Jocko at the right time, yeah, I throw yeah. this at this black belt at the right time, I'll be able to get him. Yeah. You know maybe. what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you have that thought in your that? brain. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. I had that with, with Dean one time. And it didn't yeah. Work. I mean, but what what. I, you, when you're amped up to that level, though, you know, and, and yeah, you, when you're thinking that, like no one can tap me, or and I don't think Dave's is in that in that mode. He's he's learned enough, uh, maybe to be be beyond that. But it's it, it's when you're that amped up, your chances of of getting injured are way worse, you know, oh, yeah, just more significant. True. And it's it's why you know if you see a brand new white belt coming, I'd much rather roll with brown belts and, and oh, purple belts sure. and blue, even though I know they're gonna you know they're they're gonna get the best of me. Uh, I I have a much less chance of getting injured than just the death match with some white belt who's you know who doesn't even know you know anything and 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 you just, so I think you got to be smart about who you train with, and that's what I love about you know Sean uh, Machado Austin with, with Todd White and his guys there they're 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 super. You know they're very knowledgeable. They pass on stuff, but they're humble. Just just yeah. like just like folks here yeah. at Victory. I mean, it, it's uh, 
And I think when you're training with the right people, they're like, oh, cool. You got, you got me in an arm bar. You got yep. me in a Kimura. Yep. Uh, that choke was great. Show me how to do that. And, and it's, it's a, but it's a humble learning environment where, you know, you're not there to injure people. You're not there to get hurt. And I think it's, sure, you're going to get tweaks and, and, and bumps and bruises. Uh, but I think there's, you know, if you're training smartly uh, and training to learn, then uh, the chance of getting injured, the probability is, is much less. My boy Todd White, Todd White, he's like old school jujitsu guy. He, me and him were on the circuit back in the day. <laughs> the competition sure. back in the day. He was, sure. he was an old yeah. L.A. Jean Jacques guy. Yeah. And and he, by the way, he listens to the podcast. By the way, yeah, L.A. That's where all the, the tournaments were fully. Yeah, they were yeah. back in the day. All right. Um, addition oh. to that, the jujitsu. What even? Like, I wouldn't want to paint the picture that like all white belts are going to increase your chance of injury. It's a, it's kind of a specific type of person to roll right, with right, right. that will increase your chance of injury, and that's like a a guy who's strong may or may not have like this ego where you can't tap me and I'm going to try to oh, kill you every single ego, time for sure. And he he has like a, an element of um, like legitimate strength yeah, and athleticism yeah, on top of it now yeah, yeah. so you got to put all those together like you go into a typical gym all you take all the white belts you may not even have a guy like that that's true it's like it's possible. A, the, the, the probability of a guy being like that is pretty low i'm not oh, saying it's no, zero no, I, I, do, I disagree there might be higher one, probability but I'm saying, not but pretty low depends on what uh, you know what low. changes that though in my opinion what changes is the is the black belt instructor like yeah. Yeah, yeah, so fully. if someone's like oh you want to get tough with that guy over there well let, let me i'm yeah. I, i'm gonna right. impose some humility on you it's called and, regulation uh, yeah. it happens yeah which is yet yeah. another factor that kind of contributes to the the overall safety of it so and i'm not saying low like they're rare or nothing mm-hmm. like that but i'm saying if you take a just a, i don't know some random class uh a new white belt, spazzy, strong, maybe may or may not be young, with like a huge ego. That maybe one guy, may, you won't get a, okay. a class full of no, those. No, they're not. You know, probably. so your day to day rolling is is pretty safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you you do need to pick your training partners carefully. Yeah, for sure. But to to this guy though, here here's I mean, it, look. Back when I go way back, I, I think I probably knew Echo even before. Before you did, Jacqueline, in our uh, surface warfare days, our good good friend Cake Nuts, who's a, a mutual friend, and, and others that we've uh, we uh, we worked with. In fact, Echo was you were he was a bouncer downtown yeah. before I, I mean, everyone knows because he talks about <laughs> Bruh, he, <laughs> he had to put up with all our shenanigans and uh, yes. back, back in the day. Out of trouble. But yes. but I, I remember coming in here and training at Victory, and Echo was a blue belt and showing me and Cake Nuts like some moves and 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 and, and because I kind of had this mentality of the guy who asked this question of like you know you might get in. Injured and, and I was focused on other things, and, and I, I trained here all the time. And a lot of times I'd be here to work out, and I, I'd, I'd do stand up, um, and I would never, I never trained jujitsu like I should have. Never stuck with it consistently. Didn't have the discipline to to do that uh, for, for whatever reason. I get pulled in different directions, and you know, here we are, you know, ten or twelve years later, and Echoes a brown belt. He knocking on the door of uh, of getting his black belt, and I'm still a white belt. So, it, who, what door is he knocking on? I'm not knocking. I'm here, no door, door getting not, knocked on. That's not a. <laughs> I don't think about I hear that silence stuff. out there. Yep. <laughs> so don't be that guy. I think uh, I would make the time to train. Pretty good. So yeah, for sure. All right, losing a teammate, both military and civilian civilian world happens. How do you assist and promote healing and growth within a team that has lost a pivotal member? What do you do when the emotional toll leaves your guys unfocused and is creating unacceptable risks? Yeah, um, 
you know, I've talked about this this before, and I think obviously in this can happen. This part of life is death, and, and people are going to die, and you obviously we're all going to deal. They're all going to face it at some time in a work environment. How do you deal with it? One of the things that I always say is get back to work, right? You're, you, you, yes, you're going to mourn. Yes, you're going to have your memorial services. And then you got to get back to work. And I think if you let people, if you give them too much time off, if you let them sit around, um, they're going to get unfocused. They're going to start thinking about, you know, they're going to start thinking about things that are, are not good to think about because. We want to, yes, we want to mourn, we want to do the, we want to remember, but at the same time, and I say this all the time, we don't want to dwell. You don't want to dwell in the past. You want to remember, but don't dwell. So I say, get back to work, going back to what we talked about earlier, find out what your next mission is going to be. You have more of a reason to achieve your mission because you lost someone that, you lost someone that can't, that can no longer carry on with their mission. So for them, carry on with your mission. Go forward. Don't dwell on the past. Anybody that you lost that you cared about, what would they want you to do? Would they want you to sit around and, and sulk and look at the ground? No. They'd want you to get your gear, get your mind set straight, and get back after it. So that's what I recommend. I think that's that's exactly right. And I think getting to work, uh, the reason that's important is, is yeah, if these people – if that person died, you know, and for the guys that we lost, like if we just if we just gave up and walked away, that means they died in vain, for nothing, and and we're not going to do that. We're gonna we're gonna double, triple, quadruple down on that mission to make sure that we win, that their sacrifices weren't weren't in vain. And I think that's helping the team understand uh, what you're accomplishing and why they're doing what they're doing is is ex- incredibly important. And we wrote about that in Extreme Ownership and talk about it all the time. That, that understanding why and briefing the team and helping them understand why is, is critical. But uh, yeah, focus on accomplishing that mission is uh, is what you got to do. I think the other thing too is you know, do everything you can to take care of that that, that person and their family. Uh, take care of their family and, and help them out. And you know that's an obligation that never goes away, that you're always going to have. Uh, and that's extremely important. And uh, something that's uh, that's helped me through, you know, th- those difficult losses is by serving others and look, trying to look out for others. Uh, and, and I got to do that even more than I do. Um, you know, another thing that can help out in those dark times is a little bit of jujitsu, to be quite frank with you. Next question is about jujitsu again. My BJJ coach knows it all. The problem is he's a know-it-all condescending, insulting, derogatory comments to students while class is in session. Option A, stay. Option B, go to a school down the road with less experienced but much more mature-minded teacher. What would Jocko do? What would Leif do? What would Echo do? I would probably move. Okay. Fair enough. It's straightforward. Depends how much. Oh, maybe not that straightforward. Depends how much less experience, though. Yeah, yeah okay. You see what I'm but, but, but purple belt, brown belt. I would move. If I'm just beginning, white belt, whatever, yeah, move. Okay. Leif Babin. Yeah, look, as, as a white belt myself, like I, I learned from, there's amazing purple belts and brown belts out there. Uh, you know, I've 
learn a ton, you know, from you. You always show, show me stuff, and, and you you have a great knack for teaching, which is good. You know, people. Some people just don't have that as, as much, and I think, uh, um, yeah, I think that's a. If you're at the white belt level, that's that's great. So, uh, I think that's. Uh, <laughs> Jocko apparently disagrees. I that. know, bro. Let's no, go. Echo's a very but good teacher. That is, is. Uh, Echo's. But you can see his. You can see him swell up a little bit when he gets that. <laughs> he gets that. He loves that. Loves it. Look at him. Hey, Leif said it. Yeah. Just saying. He's like hey, impartial. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's because I've been, you have taught me things. Yes, I imagine true. you haven't taught Jocko things in that way. No. But, uh, and he, even if he would, yeah, you, you should. You should go for that. <laughs> Maybe we should do that right now. Kumite. Down. But look, I, I, yeah, I think you can learn from a lot of different people. Yeah. And, and, and Real down. One thing you just can't make sure is you can't make it. You make sure it's your ego getting in the way. And when someone's really coaching you, yeah. saying, "Hey, yeah. you need to do this. You need to get better," yep. and you just don't like the manner in which they're they're doing it public or whatever, uh, you might need to put your ego in check and just say, "Okay, I, I don't know everything." Of course you don't. Let's learn. Uh, if it's over the top, then yeah, absolutely, yeah. you should go where you can learn uh, best. And, and and the quality of the people around you that you're rolling with, as we talked about earlier, I mean that that to me is everything. Uh, and and that's what I love about jujitsu is that just the. You know, such a diverse group of people. When you get at a, a great gym, you're training at it, and just folks are working together and, and learning together, and uh, you know they get the best of you, and then they're they're willing to show you about how they did that or some things you should think about. Keep it a secret. <laughs> Old school. Uh, my opinion on that is, I, well, just to, yeah, I agree with you guys, but at the same time, I'll say this: one of the things you got to learn to do in life is you got to learn that you're not going to get along with everyone and not everyone's personality is going to mesh with yours. That doesn't mean you throw away the baby with the bathwater. Sure. You see what I'm saying? So there might be a guy that he's not a good teacher. He treats people like crap, but he's got really good information and he's, he's, you're learning a lot. And you, So I'm going to take as much knowledge as I can from that person. I'm not just going to walk away because I don't like his attitude. You know what? You're going to have people that you work for that have bad attitudes, and you're going to have people that work for you that have bad attitudes. Yeah. You're going to have to learn to deal with it. You're going to have to learn how to get as much out of them as you can. Out of everybody, as a leader, everybody that you got, there, there's people that aren't going to be good at this, but they're good at that. Okay, well, let's, let's capitalize on what they're good at. So this guy, very knowledgeable, kind of a jerk. Let's capitalize on the fact that he's very knowledgeable. Put your ego in check. Show up there. Take the knowledge from him. Yeah, and then in years to come, you pay him back. You pay him a visit. Yeah, I've uh, I dig it. Sure, and I think, but overall, big picture. But yeah, the if yes, if you're getting the knowledge, see you're you emphasize in your life cruising. No, no, I emphasize in my life getting after it. So that's therefore, therefore, you're at that. You're like, oh, this guy doesn't cruise hard enough. Right, right. We might be coming. I want to get after it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I dig it. And but I think at the end of the day, if how you said the guy, yeah, he's not saying cool stuff or he's saying stuff that's not cool or whatever, but you're still getting the information, then okay, you know. And also, just like um, with Jordan Peterson, like it pays off in life to have thick skin. Like you're gonna oh, yeah. be successful. Like that's one of the ingredients for for success. They dig it. So if you're getting the information for sure, but a lot of times with the know-it-all situation, mm. which is the words he used, um, I've been in that situation like a few times where it's like, I see what you're doing there, and <laughs> you, 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 being yeah. the guy who's kind of had some experience, I'm th- I'm thinking like, I don't the circumstances that you're talking about, that's not gonna work. Mm-hmm. And I know that just from experience or whatever, but this guy's a know-it-all and no, no, I know you don't know kind of attitude or whatever. And if that's the way the whole teaching experience is and learning, quote unquote, learning experiences, I think, no, I think more benefits would be gathered elsewhere. Yeah. It's interesting when when you were talking about, yeah, you use your kid as a 
test for yourself oh, to yeah, yeah. calm down and get more mature and detach and all that. That's good advice. I, I'm basically doing that all the time. Like when I when I meet someone that that is rubs me the wrong way, I always look at that like, okay, cool. I'm gonna form a relationship with this person, become their best friend, and and see if I can get through this and make it happen. Yeah. So that's maybe what I do with that jujitsu trick. Yeah, while, by, by, while, by the way, I'm taking all of this knowledge from him yeah. so I can formulate it into goodness. Again, if you're getting the knowledge, yeah, good, man, and, good. But as a white belt, it's like, mm. come on, bro, you get a, you, you want to get the best teaching, learning, overall jujitsu experience possible. Yeah, that's that's cool. where, you know, like as a new beginner white belt or whatever, I'm going to come in and then just get insulted by a know-it-all or whatever. Like, I don't know, even know if I like jujitsu now yeah. kind of thing. That's a good point. And you run that well, risk. it's not good time. for business. That's for sure. Yeah. So, of course, hey, you're Jocko. I get it, man. Life gets it. <laughs> but we're not all Jocko. When someone says like or is a know-it-all and I'm supposed to trust this person to teach me jujitsu because, you know, for all the great reasons. We, we take jujitsu and I'm trusting this person and they're going to be like how this guy explained. I don't know, man. I don't know. Okay. Big question mark That's right cool. there. You go de- down the street and train. That's yeah. fine. I would rather get 99% of the knowledge from a good purple belt than 5% of the knowledge of a know-it-all guy. Okay. It's, there's, there's, there's a clean argument for that. Next question. This is from uh, VJ. Nirmal Kumar. He's been he's been on in the game for a oh, really yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah, got a lot of a lot of list. Do you know we've got a lot of listeners in India? You know that? Yeah, actually, a I talk to VJ from time to time oh, online. Check. So he says you must have had good days and awful ones in the field. How did you manage to stay focused despite the ups and downs? How did you win over the darkness? Also, what was your workout like when you guys were engaged in the field? And probably tired. Two questions there. I think how you manage the ups and downs is is um, you got to stay focused on what the goal is, you know. And, and I think we talk about that. How the recognition, you know, when we came back from that deployment, and you put that slide together about the battle of her body, they kind of capture on this map, you know, the the uh, the areas that we'd taken back. And even though I planned and led those operations. Um, you know, so many of those operations, I've been intimately involved in the planning and leading those ops and then writing, you know, post-operational summaries and all the reports that we, we had and were, was involved in some of the battalion and brigade level meetings, uh, you know, for that, that whole strategic plan. Uh, I didn't really have a fully grasp, just, I didn't put it all together in that way. And when you, when I saw that slide that you put together that showed, you know, the, the red enemy held areas of Ramadi and all of a sudden blue circles going in the, the US bases uh, that, that were put in that we were often the lead element on the ground for um, it, it put it all together for me in a way that, that I had not seen before and, and I recognize I had to do better job with my guys of doing that too and I think that's something that for every leader that's where that detachment comes in to, to be able to think okay help me understand what this is all about through the dark times, through the rough times, so I can focus on what the strategic goal is, uh, and, uh, and and so I can help the team understand that as well. And I think uh, that's that's something that you know, if you step back from the details, kind of think about it, so that you can understand it, and then impart that team that to your team, so they get and understand it. It, it enables them to slog through uh, when it's when it's really difficult and, and it's uh, it's dangerous, or, or they've got some real challenges ahead, uh, but they can stay focused on that that uh, that goal. You also got to remember what it feels like to do the right thing. It, for, for me, like I, I know what it feels like to not do the right thing, and I don't like that feeling. 
later, right? It, it, it feels good right now Sometimes. to not do the right thing because yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, cool, bag of Cheetos, <laughs> and I'm going to get some, right? Yep. You know what? That feels good right there. Yeah. You know what it feels like later. You know you went off the path and that's not good. So I, I just always think, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suck it up now. Take the take the problem now. Take the hard path now because I know later it's going to pay off. I'm going to feel better in the long run. Pay now, pay later. Pay now or pay later. That stuck with me when you said it. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I like pay when now, you pay, uh, pay now and pay later. Sometimes you do that. <laughs> Dang, Sometimes you pay do that. the man now and then pay the man later. And and then hey, you asked about workouts too, while we're in the field. And and this is a good one because you know like firefighters, right? Firefighters are on duty for twenty four hours, so that means they're going to get a workout in. At some, sometimes they do more than that, but they're doing twenty four hours on 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 duty where they're at the station waiting for a call. Are you going to do a? a Let's say one of the workouts from this equals freedom field manual. Are you going to do the three sets of twenty rep squats with twenty minute rest in between? I think they call those widow makers. Are right? you going to do that if you if you if if within like fifteen minutes you might be called on to carry a kid down a ladder? Don't do that workout then because you, you won't be ready. And that's kind of the attitude in Ramadi. It was like yeah, we 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 trained hard certainly, and you know we talked about that on on uh, podcast sixty five, the, the things they carried and and uh, how we had to be, we had to train hard, but you had to always hold a little back because you never knew when you're going to get the call, and and you certainly after a big blowout squat workout like that, I yeah. mean you you weren't going to be able to run through the streets and run upstairs and drag your two hundred fifteen pound buddy with sixty pounds of gear on, you know, for fifty yards across the open street while shooting with the other hand. So I mean those those are the kind of things where you got to be ready for for that, and you could you had to leave a little reserve in the yeah. tank, um, just in case. Uh, because we got often we're like, oh, we don't have an op tonight. Oh, we do have yep. an op tonight. Get ready. Oh, Here we yes, go. you do. Right on. Yeah. So leave a little in the tank. That's a good way of putting it. Okay. Here's a good one. Uh, next question. This is for both of you. Did either of you ever get into serious trouble as a teen before joining the military, or were you always exceptionally disciplined from a young age? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's the, Rafe Babbitt. <laughs> exceptionally disciplined from a young the, age. The reason I'm laughing, if my if my parents uh, uh, are, are listening to this, and they're probably laughing hysterically right now. So as as are mine. This is yeah. I got in all kinds of trouble, all kinds of trouble, all the time. I, I was a total wild man. I, I'm. Did you just, shoot your brother with an arrow in the leg or something? No, he hey. stabbed himself. Oh, okay. Uh, he stabbed himself. We used to shoot each other with BB guns, oh, yeah. though, in the legs yeah. all the time. That was, and, and we threw spears Standard at each other. Rock. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, in high school, I drove around with a, an old beat-up pickup truck, and I heard it from my, my uncle who had inherited it from my grandfather and smashed road signs and just yeah. knucklehead stuff. And, yeah. and idiots, uh, man. Yeah, I was a complete idiot, and... Um, but, uh, you know, and the military helped square me away, certainly. And it was, uh, I'm lucky that I didn't do something that caused me to have, you know, lifelong injury or death or, yeah. or, or damage. You know, and I think. Or do something that you get in a bunch of trouble for. For sure. That would have changed the trajectory, yep. prevented me from going to the naval camp, prevented me from going to the military. And, and, and would have, that would have redirected my, my whole life. So um, I, I think. Uh, uh, you know, if, if you're in that stage and you're you're a wild teen, you, you need to think clearly about the long term consequences, uh, because uh, you definitely can pay the man now and pay later in that situation for sure. One of the things that we do as as young boys, I'm speaking from a boy perspective because I'm not a girl. And when I was growing up, and with the way I look back on it now, a lot of the stuff that we did, dumb stuff that we did as teenagers, was uh, we were testing each other and we were trying to prove ourselves. 
like oh, I'm tough watch me do this like oh, I'm it's almost it's almost like if you go instinctually as a tribe member you're proving that you're willing to sacrifice you're willing to take risk and sacrifice that's what you're proving to your peers like I'm gonna like what you just said pickup truck I'm gonna drive down the road and I'm gonna I'm gonna run over this sign well, okay, it's funny, but you're also proving to your friends that you don't really care yeah, and yeah. you'll take risk and you'll do things for the tribe. That's kind of what you're proving. Yeah. So I, I think, again, I, I, I don't want to sound like uh, going back to the same broken record, but if you want to get your kid or if you're a kid and you want to prove yourself, guess what you can do? You can go take jujitsu. You can learn how to fight for real. You can learn how to defend yourself. You can learn how to take care of your tribe, take care of yourself, take care of your family. You can, do, you can learn how to beat up other people which is an important thing. I wish I would have known it. When you know jujitsu, you have less of a chance of getting into a fight because the way you act is different. You don't act like a jackass because you realize that you might get stabbed. And so you act respectful to people and people can tell that and you're respectful back to you. So yeah, it's just another thing I think helps out a lot with kids because I think boys are always trying to prove themselves to each other and to themselves that you're tough and that you're brave. I'm trying to prove that. You know, how many, let's just just survey. How many times did you jump off the roof of, you know, buildings? A lot. Yeah, it's like, why we, are you doing that? We actually used to go, when I was, we'd go uh, fishing on the, the oil rigs off the coast, uh, go deep sea fishing. You might run 40 or 50 miles off, and um, we, you're not supposed to get on the rigs. There's all these signs and stuff, but we totally get up on the rig and just jump off yeah. like 60 feet off the yeah. top of the rig, which was awesome. It hurts a little bit, but yeah. it's a, yeah. it was good times. But we do things to <gasps> prove that were tough. I did a lot of dumb things when I was a kid, and most of them were to prove to to myself and to my friends that I was tough, and that I was committed, and that I would take risks, which are all that pos- I was crazier than that. Which yeah. are all positive qualities, right? That you want, like when we're in the teams. What kind of guy? What kind of teammate do you want? You want a guy that's aggressive. You want a guy that will take risks if he needs to. You want a guy that's committed. That's what you want. So in these little weird tribes that we have as teenagers, that's what we have. And what are you going to do to prove? Well, let's go get in a fight with somebody. Let's go beat someone up. You know, those all those dumb things that you do. So be smart. Be smart. N- neither one of us uh, were model children, to say <laughs> to say the least. All right, Leif, next one. Leif, first off, thanks for picking up the spear. I'm interested to hear more about the Mujahideen in Ramadi. How did they stack up against U.S. forces? Was it like an NFL team playing against a high school team, or did they have tactics, training, and discipline equal to our own? Well, first of all, I appreciate the thanks, but it was an honor for me to carry the spear. And as, as we said, uh, we'd go back there in a heartbeat, certainly. This is a great question. It's, it's, an, it's a great question. I think it really gets to the heart of uh, what we talk about all the time is the greatest quality in a leader, and that is humility. Um, and when we, you look at the Mujahideen, uh, or the Muj, as we call them, right, the enemy fighters who control Ramadi, there were several thousand of them by, by uh, U.S. intelligence reports, uh, estimates when, who controlled two-thirds of the geographic area of the city when we first arrived in the spring of 2006 with Tasking and Bruiser, when Jocko and I were there. And, uh, you know, we were showing up. Our, our, our SEALs are some of the best shooters in the world. They're some of the best combat troops in the world. We have a highly screened group of guys who've been through the, all the, the SEAL training pipeline that's a year and a half long, probably at a minimum. And uh, and then we've worked together for almost a year as a, as a SEAL platoon. We've got guys with extraordinary physical fitness. Uh, we go to these awesome shooting schools. We train together. We have we have the best budget and gear. Uh, you know that that uh, all the giant special operations, uh, you know, budget can buy uh, the best training and equipment. And uh, so when we get over there, we're 
we're ready to go. And, and and pound for pound, if you take you know a SEAL operator from Charlotte Platoon versus one of the Mouge fighters that we're going up against, that SEAL operator can do hundreds of push-ups. He can do hundreds of pull-ups. That's, he can that's run. NFL he versus can, yeah. grade school. Exactly. And that you know the the Mouge fighter, he 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 has virtually no training. He he probably can't do ten push-ups. He's uh, he has none of the gear and awesome gear that we have. And, um, and, and it's, so it's pound for pound. It's not even comparable. And yet to think about this from, from the reality perspective, right in, in my, in Charlie platoon, we had 16 seals and five of those guys were brand new, straight out of training. Never been, never been to combat before, never been, never deployed to Iraq, five of us. And we're going up against the enemy that has had three years at that time, three straight years of nonstop real world combat experience. And so the the experience level is not even comparable. When we're going up against these guys, they know the city. They I mean and and they're able to use our weaknesses against us whereas we got to carry all the heavyweight and you know the body armor and the helmets and 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 we're not acclimatized to 115 or 100 you know 20 degree high uh during the during the day uh in the heat of the summertime. They are and they live there, and they don't have to carry water on them, and they don't have to carry body armor and helmets, and they, 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 uh, they can just throw a backpack with seven RPG rockets and a, and a, and a rocket tube and roll out with their flip flops and knock off Adidas tracksuit, which is what they generally wore, and uh, and you know, or, or their belt fed you know Russian machine guns that they use. They weren't near as good as the ones we had, but they were they were deadly, and they could use them, okay. and they could shoot, and and so you could never ever ever take those guys for granted, and and I think that's the. If they would always be looking to probe weaknesses and they weren't there to fight us head to head They would try to take advantage of our weaknesses. They were very good at analyzing the situation Looking at a weakness and taking advantage of that weakness and probing for them uh, and, and and if you ever took them for granted, I mean they were they were gonna they were, you were setting yourself They might hit you hard anyway, and you might get lose guys uh, Even if you were prepared, but if you weren't prepared and you started taking for them for granted you started getting complacent and uh, and not respecting them uh, as an enemy, uh, then then you were going to fail. And they kind of, I mean, for lack of a better word, they they cheat too. That's the thing, right? For like sure. You guys have rules of engagement, like for all sure. this stuff, and they just straight up. And and, and what's I would say even more important than that is they don't have value for for human life. They don't right. value their yeah. own lives. They're they're literally suicide bombers, mm-hmm. and so. That, you know, they could lose five. They, they want to die. Yeah. They, they want to they achieve martyrdom in many cases. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, them dying is is not a huge impact. Yeah. And then obviously for, for Americans and American soldiers and our friends, it's, it's, it's epic and, and crushing loss of life every single time. And so that is the, the biggest difference is that we have to, it's like being in it's like, you know, he says it is what he says. He says it's his NFL versus high school team, right? Well, the 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 if the NFL Should destroy that team right completely destroy it But if the high school team scores a single point if they kick a field goal yeah. They get lucky and kick a field goal. That's a, That's a win and yeah. that's that's cr- that's that's crushing and, and that's kind of what it's like yeah, they're, yeah. they're not gonna win they're not gonna win the game mm. But even when they put a score on the board, man, it, it, it's crushing. And one thing that, you know, as I think about it, too, that the, what was unique about that task unit bruiser deployment to Ramadi in 2006 was, you know, I deployed three times to Iraq. 
uh, had quite a, you know, Jocko made multiple deployments to Iraq. We, a lot of, you know, we had a handful of guys that had been there multiple times, the guys that went later to Afghanistan and, and, uh, and, and elsewhere around the world and, and saw significant combat operations. But what was unique about that was we were, we were going on foot. Do you want to drive because you're going to get blown up with these, you know, horrific IEDs are going to destroy your vehicles. So we park our vehicles. We had to carry everything on our backs and, and, and walk into deep, deep into enemy territory in places where we knew that it was very unlikely that that tanks could even get to us to help us out in some cases. Um, uh, and if they did, if they were going to try to come in, they might very well get blown up and killed. So what was interesting about that is, you know, we might have um, eight or 10 or, you know, SEALs. Sometimes it maybe it was 20 SEALs, but, but that's a fairly small group. You know, we had some Iraqi soldiers with us, but we didn't count them when it came to, uh, they didn't count when it came to, hey, who's going to actually be able to defend this position. But I had to have the expectation that that we might very well have 50, 60 enemy fighters surrounding our position attack us and, and they could easily overrun us. And what was unique about that the point was we didn't have dedicated air support. We didn't have a dedicated quick reaction force that was going to come out and, and, and help us that only was supporting us. Um, unlike, you know, so, some other uh, civil combat operations that, are, that have happened elsewhere. And, and it was uh, or, or on other deployments that I was on and we were on our own. We, we had to plan for that. And, and you had to recognize that they could, they would absolutely bring it and they would try to kill you, overrun your position to kill everybody, capture someone. And that was a real possibility that we had to be, uh, we had to recognize could happen at any time and we had to be ready for it. Well, uh, just to, just to state the statement of fact on top of what you're saying, the, the enemy did, the enemy did overrun friendly positions multiple times while we were there and kill Dozens of people and some of those, you know, some of those heavily fortified ECPs would get completely overrun, attacked, overrun, vehicle-borne ID. So, it, yeah, it, it wasn't like this could happen. This is actually happening. Happen. Well, while we were there, friendly positions got overrun by the enemy. And so, yeah, it was not just it could happen, but it, it is happening. And it's a it's a it, it could happen to us tonight, tomorrow night, whenever. Yeah, they were good. They used yeah. cover move. I yeah. mean, they laid down fire and supported each other. They 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 combined, put they, together they, plans. They, 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 they had, they had combined arms. Plans. They had combined arms. You know, they'd come in with uh, the the machine gun fire and then the the RPG fire and the mortar fire and and then all of a sudden there'd be a VBID. That's that's what they do. And there were different levels within there as well. I mean, sometimes you get shot at, and it was kind of a spray and pray, someone dumping an AK in your direction. And then other times you'd have multiple belt-fed machine guns hitting you that were, you know, coming through a little, you know, three or three by four foot window from a hundred yards away, uh, and they're coming inches over your head, and you're looking at each other like, man, these guys know what they're doing. They, they, uh, so you you could tell when you know the 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 guys who've been there for a while, maybe come from elsewhere, uh, they brought it, and, yeah. and you, you could never take them for granted. And also, luckily for us, even though we might not have had a dedicated QRF, we had the best damn QRF in the world, which was absolutely the the one one AD, and they were awesome and never failed to come and and save and the asses of TU Bruiser. They braved those roads over and over and over and over again, jumping in their tanks, taking such tremendous risk, or driving in Humvees down these yeah. horribly dangerous roads. We didn't want to drive to come help us out, and they did that all the time. They were, they were awesome. And we couldn't have done any of our operations without, without them. Next question. And this is actually a good question. It's, it's how did the Naval Academy prepare you to lead? And actually, a lot of, a lot of listeners at the Naval Academy and a lot of listeners at West Point, um, I hear from them. And actually, I got sent. Did I show you the helmet I got sent? Somebody sent me a, a hand-painted Navy football helmet. It's pretty awesome with a warship on it. Yeah, I, I'll show it to you this afternoon. So, awesome. Thanks for sending me that, by the way. 
it's awesome. So like like I said, a lot of listeners. We've had Brian Stan on. You know, he talked about his experiences there, and, and a lot of leadership he got from the Naval Academy was actually from playing football. When you listen to him, he's playing football at the Naval Academy, which was was a challenge for him. But he learned a lot of leadership lessons there. How did the Naval Academy prepare you to lead? Well, first of all, I, I, I love my experience at the Naval Academy, and for me, that was all about the the people that I I served with, you know, and the folks that I met. And, uh, and the things that we went through together. I got in a lot of trouble in the Naval Academy. Uh, I struggled with my grades, something we talked about previously. Uh, I, got, I had a big conduct record um, because I still did some of those knucklehead teenage things and, and rebelled against authority. Uh, but frankly, uh, you know, look, there's great people there. You know, there's great people on the staff. I've got a very close friend there's a battalion officer now, and it's awesome to have good people there that are passing lessons on to you know to those young midshipmen as, as they graduate and for, and for every academy or rtc unit you know uh for that matter i saw you know because you have a, such a wide swath of, of officers from all different uh um you know from all different um uh you know navy marine corps i mean every every kind of different branch of within those services uh as well and uh, and also you have a, a, a midshipman uh leadership hierarchy right, right. so you've got someone who because they made good grades or had a good conduct or ever got got promoted into this kind of make-believe you, position you see that right there yeah a little bit a little bit of uh <laughs> you know a little bit of anger hey, about that hey, one right there hey, just because hey, they got good hey, grades or they didn't have yeah, a good yeah. conduct hey, they yeah. thin <laughs> conduct record listen, <laughs> they're gonna be in charge of me listen there there was some resentful <laughs> This is a new life. I just met a new life. Resentful life. I, I'm actually not at all resentful. I, I, uh, resentful I, I can life. tell you, I had some, I had some good friends who were in those positions, and, and it was great for them. You know, good, good for them. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's just, it's funny looking back now because it's completely meaningless, right? When you're, do you have a regimental commander there? Yeah. yeah is, that, is that guy in charge of all the students? Yeah. There's, there's, you know, there's yeah, regiment, brigade, yeah, yeah, you know, okay. battalion. At companies. OCS, they have it too. That, that, that when I was at OCS, I was the man. I was called. You were the, I was, you were the regimental. I was winner? Regcom. So, so no wonder he's a little sensitive to this. He's a little sensitive. Regcom yeah. Yeah. coming yeah. in hot. Oh, they also called it the five bar because you're the only person with five so, bars on your little uniform. Hmm? Did they did they call you Captain Big Time? No, they called me El Presidente. <laughs> I was a president in my class too. We had a good time at OCS. So, so yeah. now, now we see the sensitivity there. Yeah. Listen, I, you know, great. We, Maybe we, you should have studied harder. Uh, like, I meet some kids now, or I hear from, I get, I get correspondence from people at the Naval Academy, and like, I can see that they're in the game. I can see that they're like, oh, this is going on, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you think you could have been. You could have had that. No question about yeah. it. Now, now, would it have mattered at the time? I, I don't know. You know, failure, as we say, is often the, the best teacher. Look, I, I made I made great grades in high school and did well on my SATs and ACTs without, with almost no study. Uh, I got super, um, uh, I, I, just, I, I didn't have the discipline that was in place. Uh, once I got to the Naval Academy and that structure, it was, it was difficult for me. It was very hard for me as I went into a system engineering program and, and those sort of things. So, so I struggled with that. So that could have helped me if somebody had, if I'd have learned discipline equals freedom at a, at a young age and recognized the, the power in that, I'd be way, way more ahead, you know, in life. Than Wouldn't I we now, all? For sure. What about playing the game? Yeah, and playing the game as well, right? That I'm going to buck authority of like, you know what? Actually, it's going to be a lot worse for you mm-hmm. if you just... You know, even from a just personal perspective, not only works for you, but for your squad or for your, you know, these folks that you care about. If you just build a better relationship with the folks above you instead of being the, the you know, hard-headed argumentative guy, for sure. It would yeah. be way better for me. I, I don't know yeah. when I figured that out. I mean, it was definitely it was definitely in my enlisted time I started figuring out that, oh, I'm working for a guy, and I can either make my life, I can either tell him he sucks, and then my life is going to suck, yeah. 
or I can figure out how to work with him and that's going to make my life better. And by the way, it's not just going to make my life better. It's going to make us do a better job as a team. So it's interesting when you pick up on that in life. And obviously, if I would have been going to the Naval Academy at 18, you know, I was a knucklehead. You know, I would have been in the same boat of like, oh, I'm going to stick it to the man, right? I mean, I'm still listening to Tenacious D at age whatever, and we're still sticking it to the man. Well, I'll tell you, the people that I really like, like my upperclassmen I really like, we have some that are you know, still serving the SEAL teams and, and uh, are great guys that help influence me. And, and I expected, when I showed up there, I wanted to be a SEAL. Yeah. I, I wanted to go to war. That's what I wanted to do. And, I, and I, it was very hard for me to recognize that like, not everybody wanted to do that or was exactly like me or was so it, it was uh, you know some people were a little more academic or wanted to be on the intelligence side or wanted to be you know they, they wanted to drive a ship or they wanted to be on a submarine or that you know they those things that uh you know fly a plane i mean top gun had come out but you know we had a whole bunch of people that wanted to be you know pilots that had gone to school so it was it was interesting people were a lot different than i expected and and, and uh some folks didn't quite have the the warlike mentality that uh, that I expected everyone might have, um, you know, going going into that environment. But there's no question that uh, I, if I'd have done a better job of, you know, you call it playing playing the game, just seeing the, you know, detaching and seeing like, hey, listen, thinking strategically. Yeah, thinking strategically. If we want to see. Yeah, if we want to, yeah. don't want to say play the game because that sounds too yeah. too build, easy. I want to build relationships. Devious. That is yeah, it. Too devious. Not. I didn't recognize that it was not in my benefit. Or the benefit of the people around me to to create antagonistic relationships, and that so rather than de-escalate those situations, I rebelled against them and pushed against them, and, and it, it, it was a struggle for me. Yeah, uh, and it took me a long time to figure that out. That that being said, though, there, there you know, there's it. The naval camp is no different than anywhere else. There was great leaders there who mentored people and, and trained people and represented you know folks well that were both officers on the staff and and enlisted on the staff as well as uh, you know as, as midshipmen. So, uh, but I think what what was a lesson for me and looking back on it now that I recognize it's great to identify who you don't want to be. And if someone does something that's looking out for themselves or throws people under the bus mm-hmm. or, you know, those, those leaders that you start losing respect mm-hmm. for, it's great to actually identify that. Yeah. And, and that's a good lesson to learn to say, okay, good. I, I want to make sure I don't be that, that way. But what, what I have learned is that I can't be, we talk to leaders about this all the time. And I get people like, what do you do? You know, when your boss, it just isn't a good leader. You're like, guess what? Uh, the SEAL teams is one of the most highly screened organizations in the world. What's uh, what's the percentage of senior leaders that I work for that I had respect for that I'd go and work for again? You know, that's maybe maybe twenty percent, maybe twenty percent of the people I work for during my time. And guess that's about average. As as you talk to people, yeah. you know, it's about average in the business world. It's about it's certainly at the naval cab, any of those places. So if you're expecting that, there's most of the world out there is not going to be a good leader. They're not going to be a good leader. And that doesn't matter. And that shouldn't affect your performance. You should be able to do you know, something that I learned from you, which has probably been the most helpful thing that you ever taught me, was that I should try to have the same relationship with, with every boss. You know, whether I had deep respect and admiration for them or whether I despised them and thought they were, you know, egomaniac who, you know, or, or a coward who, you know, couldn't mitigate risk. So, and that it's, it's in my benefit and my team's benefit to build that relationship with, with my team and that was that was a lesson that I, I had not learned then, um, so yeah, those negative those negative lessons learned were, were were good for me, um, and also uh, I would have had less negative uh, lessons learned if, if I'd, have, I'd have figured this out earlier. Check, uh, same and really we got time for like one more question, but it's, it's almost the same vein, so I think it's a good question to ask. It says Leif, at what point did you become enlightened to extreme ownership, and how did you respond to the philosophy? 
kind of same vein of what you were just talking about. Exactly. I mean, I, I clearly didn't have that fully at the Naval Academy, but I started to understand through the kind of school of hard knocks and falling on my face and getting in a bunch of trouble and realizing, hey, it doesn't benefit me to rebel against authority or you know not do what I'm told or be seen as you know as someone who's you know doesn't respect the rules or whatever. And and um, I, I think I started to learn that a little more in the service fleet because I my goal I went out served it was crushing to me to not be selected out of the Naval Academy and uh, to to go into the SEAL program. So as I went out to the, and served on a couple of different surface ships, I recognized like the what is the pathway for me to to the SEAL teams? My lifelong dream. That's all I want to do. And it was be the best freaking surface warfare officer. Yeah, because now you got to just so everyone knows. Now you got to yeah. earn a recommendation to go and do this. So if you're not the best fleet officer you could possibly be, someone's going to go, "Why would you? Why would you send to the SEAL teams?" And you, you're not even doing a good job here. No. So you, you got to earn a reputation. You also have to, and a recommendation for sure. You so you have to build that trust with your bosses, and you have to get qualified. So they've got to trust you, and, oh. and you have to achieve that qualification. You're not even eligible until you oh. achieve your warfare qualification. So, in, so when you when you report aboard a, aboard a ship, you have to do certain qualifications that say, okay, yes, you are now a surface warfare officer, a qualified surface warfare officer. There's a bunch of boxes you got to check, you, and, and, and those if, boxes are, you got to learn all kinds of information about all the the hundreds of different systems. And on, until you on get that, you're not even going to get you, you're you're not getting a recommendation until you get that. You're not even eligible. You're not even eligible. So you had to just, you had to get some. So I had to basically. embrace it. And that, that, and that helped me. And I still had frictions, certainly. And, and, but I started recognizing like what works and what doesn't. And, re, but it wasn't really until Taskin Bruiser. That, that's where you really quantified that for me. And, and, you know, as, as we were going through, I, I was in my second platoon. So I'd already been through a previous platoon. And, um, and I, and I, I, I didn't even realize like as in that second, the second platoon, as we were working at Taskin Bruiser with Charlie Platoon, I was like, Man, we're good. Like we're we're performing well. And when we started having, you know, a few months into the workup cycle, we'd have you know training instructors be like, "You guys are the best task unit we've ever seen come through here." And it was interesting to me because I I was like, "Well, I I don't really. I mean, we have some amazing guys in this task unit, but I had amazing guys in my last task unit too. We had very talented. So it's not really the talent factor that broke us out, you know. And and I I didn't even realize. It certainly wasn't that we didn't make mistakes because we made all kinds of mistakes in tasking a bruiser and, you know, disastrous training operations where we had to come back and revamp our training process and, and, and make sure that we dialed in standard operating procedures. Just it, what training is supposed exactly. to be. Exactly. And right. Exactly. That's the difference, really. Yeah. And that was it. It was it was this idea that we now call extreme ownership, which is we're going to take ownership of this. And instead of being like, hey, we're going to push back against people that are telling us we need to be better, or we're going to maybe even deny that we're as bad as we are, we're going to take a brutally honest assessment of ourselves. And that that's one thing that really stands out to me as I think about it. Do you remember our, our debriefs? The, the training instructors, they usually have a super lengthy and critical debriefs. We would debrief ourselves after a run because they let the, they let the platoons and the task units go first. And so often... It was the only time I ever saw it throughout my, you know, my nine years in the SEAL teams that, uh, that, that most of the time we would get done debriefing ourselves and, and the training instructors did not have, they had either nothing to say or maybe just a couple sentences and that was it. Yeah, because we'd rip ourselves to shreds. Because we, we, we were, that was such a brutally honest assessment of, and sometimes they'd be like, hey, I actually thought you guys did pretty good. Shut no, up. We're, yeah, we're working. And that's actually, you told, you told them, right? Yeah. They say the worst thing, you don't ever tell my guys that, uh, that they're, they're doing, you know, they're, they're amazing. That's the best run they've ever seen. Because that, that, that allows us to not get better, to not grow, to get complacent. So we always did that. And I think that's, 
I, I was starting to, I, I recognized just how powerful that was to our performance. So again, we were never flawless. We always made, we made mistakes, but we learned from those mistakes. We got better. We grew all the time and we were able to run circles around everybody else as a result and, and deliver some exceptional performance on the battlefield with that attitude. And that's, you know, that, that mindset and attitude is, is the game changer. That's why we call the book Extreme Ownership. Uh, and it's what we impart to people as, as, as we, we see in the business world. And it, there's, at the end of the day, there's what works and there's what doesn't work. But that t- tasking a bruiser and working with you and, and recognizing what that is and how powerful that is, uh, that's, that's made all the difference. It's crazy to see, and I see this all the time, that, well, you just think about what you're saying. When the, when the training cadre, for instance, tells you, hey, it took you guys a long time to get a head count, meaning you're on the target and you want to leave the target. Before you leave the target, you've got to know that you've got all your people, so you want to get a head count. So the training cadre says, hey, it took you guys a long time to get a head count. Now, you can do one of two things here. You can say, okay, that's criticism. How could we get a faster head count? Hey, guys, anyone ever done this a different way? Yeah, hey, I've used this process in the past. It works really good. Okay, let's try that. Oh, that worked better, and we do this one little thing. It can be even a little bit faster. Okay, let's rehearse it. Let's actually try and rehearse it. Okay, boom, now we're getting really good. So, so we take that, and all of a sudden, the next time we go out, we do a little bit better, and then we modify it a little bit more, and all of a sudden, we can get a head count in 15 seconds instead of four minutes, which is a huge difference when you're trying to leave a target. So that's one attitude to have. That's like we're going to take ownership of the problems. But I would see this all the time, which is, hey, guys, your, your head count was a little slow. And guys go, wasn't that bad? <laughs> wasn't that bad? It only took us four minutes. Four minutes is not that big of a deal. Uh, we, we, like, or, or like that guy's saying that right now, but I'd like to see him get a head count yeah, faster yeah, yeah. than that. I mean, we did it as fast as we could do it. Everyone counted as fast as we could, and we made it through the first time. That took us three minutes, and they're going to say that's not good enough? Hey, don't worry about that. And so, mm-hmm. so you're going to stay on that pattern. And you never get better. And you're never going to get better. And it's because you're not looking. You're you're not accepting criticism from the outside. And when, it's like when we see that with leaders now, I I start oh, laughing totally. about it. Dave, Dave and I were just working with with a, with a team, and and uh, we had that. It comes up all the time. And and it's funny when you see people pushing back against some some real uh, constructive criticism. And my question is always like, okay, I said I just you know that battle of egos there. I look at that and say, okay, you, what you're telling just just let me understand. You're telling me that you. You are at absolute optimal performance. And you can never improve in any way. In that is, is that is that is that what you're saying? And, and obviously, then they recognize, yeah. like, of course not. Uh, so, so that kind of opens the door of, yeah, you can improve, and you should yeah. improve. And if you're not, what you taught me is not only should you improve. I think the big lesson that I learned from you, and that we now you know teach here with, with Echelon Front, is is that if not only should you improve. But if you're not trying to do better, if you're not doing everything you can to have the most efficient and effective headcount that you can and improve in every aspect of your game all the time, that you're actually failing as a leader and you're failing your team. And I think that's a very fundamental difference of looking at it. Yeah. That it's, it's not just, no, I should be doing that. But no, if I'm not doing that, I'm a failure as a leader and I'm failing my team. Yeah, and all this is weird. You know, talking about this headcount thing, it's, it's a great example. I'm surprised I haven't talked about it very much because it's a, it's a really big deal. Like, for instance, when you leave a target, you can't leave until you know that you have all your guys. So you got to get a head count. And there's multiple different ways to get a head count. And the easiest way is you use decentralized command and every little team leader counts their three or four guys. And they go, yep, one's up, two's up, three's up. And, and they report in up one level. And by the time I would need a head count, I'd look at Leif and, and the Delta Plume commander and I'd be like, hey, are we up? And it would take them 10 seconds to be like, we're up. The, the, way, the worst way to do it, which I would also see 
would be you would literally count from from the lowest guy there's 36 guys in the troop and someone would say hey head count and the back guy would go 36 35 and they would you'd have assigned numbers 35 34 33 32 Hey, who's 31? Who's 31? Oh, over here. Wait, you're 31? No, I'm 32. Did you count? And so it takes three minutes, four minutes. And and yet it's like, well, that that's a very sensible way on paper to do it because you know you're going to have all your people. But in reality, it doesn't work. And, and that's that one. And so this is that one little thing, right? This one little thing, one little improvement you can make. But but. That's not the only improvement you can make. You can improve every little thing that you do. And every little thing that you do as a team, everything that you do as an individual human being, you can make it just a little bit better. And the minute that you're, you're, you're sitting back and you're, you're going, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to make this change anymore. I'm, I'm, I've reached my pinnacle of performance in this category. The minute that you do that, it's not just one category that you're slacking off on. It's all of them. And I was telling you guys the other day, I'm like, you know, when you see me post a picture in the morning that it, it saying again I'm getting up at I'm not getting up at 430 if, if it says the 435 that means I got up at 430 and I got out of bed and I went in and and and, and I took a picture of my watch and I posted when I'm posting it at 408 that means I woke up and I was like I got to get busy it's like it's not an alarm, it's not an alarm clock I'm got to get I got to go do I got to go make these things happen I got to look and see where I can improve my method for getting a head count how can I make it that much faster that one little thing and when you look at your array of what's you're going on in your business and it's also in your life too what can you do a little bit better you attack those problems you accept the criticism when it comes at you which is so hard for everyone to do myself included you accept the criticism you listen to it and, and then you modify and you make these little iterative changes and at the end instead of being a decent task unit or instead of being a decent person or instead of running a decent team you can be the best and that's only happens if you take ownership of what's going on in your world with that echo Charles yes speaking of taking ownership trying to get better yes maybe you could help us out with that a little bit I don't know yeah it's that's possible a, that's interesting though like where it, when you put it into perspective right the extreme ownership because you know how you say the biggest or one of the the biggest best qualities of a leader is humility humility yeah right. you see so, the tie-in right now right it, m- more so even okay. yes because see? you figure okay Enlightened. So, so you yeah, yeah that, a little bit another stripe another stripe on the <laughs> on the leadership <laughs> yeah. white belt there you go so you uh, you get a team you know a team of people all different you know personalities whatever egos different varying levels right so for little there's going to be all these little problems no one's perfect no one's optimal right that's kind of the goal even if it's unattainable perfection right that's kind of the goal the optimal then you have a team with however many mistakes they make and then as they train, perform, all this stuff, all the little mistakes get pointed out. And it's almost like this self, uh, self-correcting organism. We hope it is. Like, that's why. Yes, you hope it is. So, like, if you compare it to, like, a machine learning situation, mm-hmm. it does that. Because it doesn't have an ego. It doesn't take things personal. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, let me just 
solve all the little problems and then that's why they can uh, what, grow at exponential rates, right? The thing with, that's awesome about that though is that you get, and I think what you're talking about is building the culture, right? So you get, if the leader's doing that and you get the team yep, doing yes. that, once once people recognize like, hey, look how much better we are at headcounts yeah. now. Even if I resisted that, then you start getting junior leadership, who, new, yeah. you know, frontline troops, new guys who, you know, they come up with an idea, hey, here's yeah. a way we can yeah. do this a little better. They're solving yep. problems they that you don't problems. even see. Yeah, it's a I was saying that the other yeah. day, you know, I was, I was in a training situation the other day and I saw things go bad for this group. It was a military group and and things were going bad. They were they they all dropped the ball. They all kind of didn't drop the ball, but they were slack there. They were slack. Sure. And I was thinking to myself, I wouldn't see a a young new guy machine gunner not get in a good position. I would never see that with my eyes because the guy that was immediately senior to him would would straighten him out. Mm-hmm. There would be no slack right there. There'd be no slack. Like, you'd get straightened out. So by the time I show up and I look around, everyone's doing amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Everything's the way it should be. It's not quite optimal, but it's damn close. And why is that? It's because of what you just said, Leif. It's because every leader, every individual leader, and every person is, tr- is adjusting and making things, making adjustments that I'm not even seeing. And why are they doing that? Number one, because they're all humble enough to look that they need to change things. And number two, everyone in the group has their ego in check. So when someone says, hey, shift your field of fire a little bit to the west, the guy doesn't say, why? Yeah. No, he goes, I wonder why. Oh, I see, because he's got another guy over there that's covering that field of fire. Got it. Got it, boss. Yeah. That's that's what that's it. Now we have like like a machine that's just improving all the time. Yeah. Which is what we're going for. And if you lack humility, in any in any one of those levels, you're 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 gonna slow down that machine's yeah, progress. Stop that process fully. Does yeah. So it's weird when you look at it from the big picture, you know, and you see like just like how you're saying when you kind of mentally compared your current team with you know teams in the past, like oh there was talented guys on the other side on the other teams that I was on too. But you kind of understand and recognize that one factor is that everyone's kind of humble and is always constantly like, what can I do better right here with my you know, situation in my own little world here, but everyone's doing that. So it's like this: if you if you kind of collectively consider this group, they're just boom, 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 self, and, self. And I'll take it one step forward, just just one step further, just so everyone can think about how to implement this in your world. Yeah. The way you implement it isn't by saying, "Guys, the head count was slow. You need to fix it." It's not by saying, "Hey, the approach to the target was too loud. You need to be quiet." That's not how you fix the problem. Mm. You say, hey guys, our head count is taking too long. I need to come up with a better way to do it. I need to, I need to, I need to figure this out. Or hey guys, we were too noisy going to the target. I need to make sure that you have the gear that you need and I need to make sure we all understand how important it is to be quiet going to the target. Yeah. I think I was too loud. Right? I think I was too loud. Sure. Now everyone says, damn, Jock was like, he's blaming himself for being too loud, but I'm the one that was over back there. My dropped my canteen and made a bunch of noise in the rocks. That was my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tighten myself up. Yeah. As opposed to blaming everyone. And we yeah. talk about this all the time. The minute you're blaming everyone, everyone's just, you know, they're looking yeah. for an excuse. They're blaming you. You don't understand how hard it is to carry that canteen quietly. And I was thirsty because I've been carrying the machine gun and I needed to get water right there. I was going to get dehydrated. They're just yep. making excuses. Yep. And the machine can't self-correct. The machine can't self-correct. Can't do it. Just stays in the one inefficient, ineffective place. Mode. Speaking of machines, machines need oil. Hmm. Not necessarily krill oil, but 
<laughs> we need krill oil. B plus. If on you, your did, if you, if you like didn't know like already, we'll Jocko, Jocko has supplements. Good news. Krill I, just, oil. I just took my Jocko krill oil this morning. Good yeah, stuff. Me too. Good. <laughs> Always. Every day. Don't forget. Um, can't slack on that. Thanks for bringing me some krill oil in New York, too, by the way. Yeah, I think you still owe me a bottle for them. Yeah. yeah no? no problem. I know a guy. His name is Jocko, <laughs> and the krill oil is called Jocko Super Krill. And Joint Warfare, by the way, which is another joint supplement. You know, maintain the physical capabilities of your body. Um, I said don't forget to take it and don't run out, by the way. I ran out before. But if you're running out, there is a subscription option. By request. By request. Yeah, you get it, what, every month? You can get it every month, every two weeks. This, uh, well, this was cool, though, because the indicator was when people order krill oil joint warfare mm-hmm. guess what they do they order more yeah and then they order more and so then the, the requests were can we just put it on subscription so there is there go. a i mean i don't i just take three of them three of each boom but i'd never read like how much should i be okay. taking because it's a little bit more like strong right like this yeah, more yeah. I, i'll tell you what i take i take three of each in the morning and i take three, three of each at night <laughs> so you're I, yeah, yeah i you're full on that's good yeah. and that's fine, but what is the recommended? You're deal? also talking to the guy that you know orders the forty ounce steak too. <laughs> More is better. Yeah, after a forty eight hour recommended, fast or some I, I would say I, I would say depending on your weight, but I'd say like two and two. Take two of each in the morning, two of each at night, and also oh, you can four do this. a day. Okay, yeah, you can also do this. You can also you know see where you're at, right? Yeah. Like you know what it feels like when you haven't been taking. You're like Ugh. yeah. So then up the dose. That's yeah, what I did, yeah. and I've been real real confident with where I'm at. Yeah, me too. Three and three for me. Not twice. One one time. Mm-hmm. Three and three. Boom. Morning. I, I got to get on the subscription though. That's good. I, I like that option because I, I I run out and yeah. uh, and then and then it takes you know it's days to yep. yeah and, and it, you well that's what that's what sucks is it takes like three days right three days you're like oh my oh I haven't been taking it yep. and then you got to get back on it and it takes another couple days. Swack. Yeah. Get so. the subscription if you're into it. Where, where also, can you get that anyways? You like that? So, well, <laughs> there's more stuff. What? Yeah, yeah. If you want to go get it right now, originmain.com. That's where you get it. Also at originmain.com. Also Jocko Supplement. It's called Discipline. It's a pre-mission cognitive enhancer. Microdose of caffeine. If you're into it, just like Jocko White Tea. Leif, you're all just in the bottle. Just sampled some. It's tasty. Yeah. yeah, see, tasty, which is, I mean, which maybe it's, yeah, I mean, right. Again, I know I said it before, but it, it it doesn't seem like you're all like focused on taste because you're not focused on looks. No, see what I'm saying? Not at all. Yeah, but you like to taste here to good win. stuff. Yeah, yeah, here that to win thing. and make sure stuff tastes good. Apparently, but uh, it is good stuff. I take that one every day too. When do you take it? Morning now. Pre. Pre day, pre life, pre day, man. Pre life. You know why? The way I see it is like there's no caffeine, or there's not like huge amounts of caffeine. So it's like, okay, if I'm gonna microdose, yeah, I ripped that off from Tim Ferriss. What microdose? Because they talk about microdosing LSD and microdosing psycho drugs and whatever. Sounds cool. That's not really my thing. Yeah, yeah. But I'll take a little microdose of caffeine. Yeah, fifteen milligrams. Sure. But give you a little glimpse into the, the spirit n- world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd do it. Well, the LSD might, yes, for sure. The Not 20 rep squats them. will do it. Oh, that's why <laughs> yeah, the 20 rep squats will yeah. do it. Yeah, yes. Come yes, and sure. get some of that sometime. I just figured the, the like the cognitive um, 
enhancers. enhancing nutrients. I figure that's like a thing. That's not like a drug, right? It's nutrients. So that's, you take it every day. So your brain is just generally more capable. It's just what I figured. Maybe that's I don't why know. he's answering all these good questions. They got the discipline in him. Maybe. The, Maybe. Ner- the neurons are firing. I've been on it. That's, you know? that's why I got those stripes. Yeah. <laughs> 19% increase in performance. Yeah. Dang. Thanks for and, and the rush cards to do that, by the way. Also, anyway, um, get them at originmain.com. Also, at originmain.com is where you get your gi straight up. You have an origin gi? I do have an origin gi, and they're, they're awesome. I go. get comments on it all the time. They're uh, they're great geese. They're they're super lightweight, but they're super strong. And and uh, yeah, definitely my favorite gi. I'm yeah. look, I'm looking to get another one. Mine too. And made in America, by the way. Brian emailed me yesterday. You might think that's the best thing about Origin geese that it's just made in America, but then it's not because you get the gi and you realize that yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, because if it was made in America and then you were like claustrophobic or something. Gi the other night. I was rolling in the deaf gi. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, the, the interesting thing, we obviously, we know I'm not a fashion guy, right? Well. I mean, clearly, I'm not a fashion yeah, guy. Yeah, we know that big time. We can, Leif can tell, you want to hear stories, you can tell Leif to tell stories about my fashion uh, escapades around 1987 tapered jeans and Danner <laughs> combat boots. Hey, that's how I roll. But when you put on the deaf gi, everyone says something. Yeah, Why is that? Yeah, it's just because like it looks, because it's yeah. not flashy. Yeah. It just says discipline equals freedom. And then it says, get after, get after it, it on the back. That's yeah. it. Every time I walk by people, when I'd walk by, then I'd hear them going, get after it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Pete is like that, though. What? He has like an element of fashion in his stuff. No, I know. I got to put him in check on that. Uh, him and I have been going back like and that. forth a little bit. I'm like, hey, you got to put that in check. Yeah. You, you want to, because he made some, he made some spats. Oh, yes, spats. Which is an approved term now. Yes. Leif. Compression pants. Compression pants. Tights. Is what Superman would call them. <laughs> Spandex. But anyways, he made some of that is work. That, is that like jeggings? No, jeggings? that's way too far. They're jeans, but they're like it's. I know this because my daughter has some, and it's oh, je- it's like what is it? You I got see teenage girls. Doing. You don't know what jeggings are. Come no. on, yeah. they're like no. j- leggings slash jeans. jeans. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Pete has more fashion sense because he's got yeah. that whole design thing going on. Yeah. Like. He's a designer. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's a creative. I know you're listening, Pete. We know you're all <laughs> designing stuff up there. Me, I'm like, make it black. Yeah, yeah. What can we add to it? More black? And hey, what kind of shape do you want in the waistline? Or yeah. like, I, I don't know about that kind of stuff. No, but Pete's like, oh, don't worry. I got it. Yeah. And that's why. Until he designed the the multicolored spats. Well, that's just like just taking people, in a different again, direction. I can't even. I can't even. I'm not even. I, I have to put myself in check here. Because I realize that that is beyond my domain of competency way right beyond, there. Yes. That is way beyond my domain of competency. So if you want to get those spats, yeah. go for it. Dang it. But to Pete's credit, guess what they have now? Black. Black spats. There you go. If you need them, you can get them. Boom. But even his, even the other geese, though, people, before I got the deaf one, mm-hmm. people would be like, oh, that's a nice geese. Well, what's really interesting is when you see the weave. Yeah. The weave is what makes it. Gorilla weave. Yeah, but th- there's like this little pattern in the Dragon weave. And weave. Actually, the first one of the first ones I actually held was yours, life because you've you've had that Origin gi for a long time. Yeah, no. because you asked me a long time ago before I was even with Origin. You're like, hey, what kind of gi should I? So like, get a damn Origin gi. Yeah, you're like, this made in America. Awesome company. You were telling me about it, and yeah. uh, you know, they, you went and got one. Uh, I went and bought one. It's good. And I was like, oh damn, this thing is nice. But yeah, there's yeah. a little pattern. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, we get it. Sorry. But I'm just I'm saying, even though you here. don't care about the fashion, Pete will sneak it in there just for like the perfect amount of fashion. I gotta watch out for Pete. Subtle fashion. 
It's good. Keep it up, Pete, I think. Also, some rash guards there. All made in America. And some other stuff. Check it out. If you like something, get something. OriginMain.com is the website. Also, onit.com slash Choco. Okay, onit. This is where I get my kettlebells. Kettlebells? You have I kettlebells. like kettlebells. Yeah. So I got the whole set. Primal bells, all that stuff. Also, maces and other workout stuff if you want to you want to switch it up. You don't want to do a boring workout anymore or you're bored with your workout. Switch it up. On it.com slash Choco. Check out the workout gear. It's good. Get something. Also, when you buy Extreme Ownership, Way of the Warrior Kid, or any of the books Jocko may or may not review on this podcast, um, don't worry. I organize all those books. I made a shirt, too, by the way. It's a whole other story. I'll go into that later. But I organize all the books by episode, by the way. Um, get them through there. Good way to support. It'll take you to Amazon, get your book, get whatever else you're getting, and uh, you know, carry on. Lawnmower. I've yeah. noticed that lately. A lot lawnmower. of lawnmowers. People buying lawnmowers. They're ready for spring. Yeah. Through the Amazon click-through. Yeah. I think I, I'd say Good that. Good way to support. Can you buy a driving lawnmower? Because when I think lawnmower, I think driving. On Amazon, you probably yeah. can. Probably, you probably huh? can. John yeah. Deere. Something yeah. like this. I bought a leaf blower, and I'm not joking. There you go. My daughter plays with it. Rechargeable ones. Can you get an 84 millimeter uh, recoilless rifle, Carl Gustav? No, I don't no. think so. No, no, you got to go so. somewhere That's else. A shame. <laughs> that is a damn shame. Yeah. One of my buddies was asking me the other day. He was going to go shooting, and and he's a he's a British guy, and his name is English Peter. And sure, <laughs> and English Peter, you know English Peter. He's like, I'm going to go shooting. Do mate. you call him English Peter? That's his nickname, English Peter. P E T. A H English Peter, and English Peter was going to go shooting with yeah. with someone, and he says, "Hey, you know, I'm going to go." He says, "Hey, I'm going to go shooting. Would you like to come? Maybe we could work on some cover and move." <laughs> and and I was like, good. I was like, I was like, I can't make it. And then I saw him later, and I said, "Oh, how was the shooting?" He says, "Oh, we didn't get to go, mate. We couldn't go." Couldn't go. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, that's a bummer." I said, you, "You're going to like it." And he goes, oh, "I really want to shoot." Is like the RPG. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, mm, that's going to be a little tricky to get. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know, we can check Amazon for RPG. Blast area yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah, let's get some. Yeah, Amazon, uh, yeah, I don't think they provide that kind of stuff. But if they do, hey, whatever. You know, when you buy your book, buy one of those. Cool. Also, subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Mm-hmm. You know Spotify? I do. Uh, There's yeah, some man, more. Subscribe. You know what? There's a bunch of other podcast apps and i don't even know what their names are i need to start tweeting the the locations of those i gotta figure them all out yeah well and there's a bunch yeah and they're coming out with new ones it's like this just you'd think we what we kind of said before you'd think oh itunes right that's where podcasts are but podcast is a podcast yeah hey what's interesting and i I haven't seen this factually or i don't know where the number came from so like two years ago 18 percent of america was listening to podcasts 18 18 like when we started that's the number I got. I, I was like researching, oh, how many people are listening to it? Right now, so it's been two years, 48% of America is listening to podcasts. And that right there is explosive growth. That's pretty yeah. amazing because it's a great medium. Yeah. Yeah, it's like kind of like having a conversation. Well, I guess it depends on the podcast, but yeah, I agree fully. So yeah, subscribe if you want. Good way to support. Also, YouTube. Subscribe to YouTube if you want. If you're interested in the video version of this podcast, we have our guest Leif Babin. The guest episodes, that's when people watch them typically. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Well, I don't want, yeah, not even really mostly. I'm just saying we see more people watching the episodes with with guests. I want to see what they look like apparently. They do. 
Yeah. Unless, if you're interested in that, and excerpts. If you don't want to necessarily watch the whole podcast, you can watch just like little clips of it or whatever. You want to share them with your friends, whatever. We provide that as well. Also, enhanced excerpts. That's what we're calling them mm-hmm. now. Okay. Some of that too. Anyway, various video types on there. And so, you've uh, been, so you've, I've seen you've been a little bit more. You're, you're throwing more punches now. You're letting sure, your hands letting go a little go bit. A little bit more, yeah. Let yeah. them go more. Yeah. We're going to keep that going. So, yeah, there'll be more clips to choose from. You know, you want to listen or watch, whatever. Yeah, so yeah, subscribe. Good way to support. Also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store, of course. JockoStore.com. That's where you can get Discipline Equals Freedom shirts, Victory MMA shirts, the one Jocko wears every day while we do the podcast and otherwise. And, you know, get out. Anyway, there's shirts on there. There's podcast shirts. Jocko gear shirts. Also rash guards. Also hoodies. Also hats. Did you mention a new shirt? Is there a new shirt? I mentioned a new sh- shirt. Okay. Is it out? Because I haven't approved or seen anything lately. No, you'll it's approve. It's unapproved. Good. It's good. Unauthorized. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's in limbo right now, but I, okay. I'm very, we're confident. It's like, it's like the patches. He secretly wants you to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. this one he's going to openly, I think you'll approve because there, there's no colored shirts. Okay, good. Yet. Approved. And then, you know, actually it's called Back to the Book. Oh. No surprise. Yeah, we talked no, about it before, said but that before. but I think it's coming along. There's a few layers on there, and um, you know I'm gonna go ahead and offer it. Offer it up. Yeah, you, you, you can't release it until there's enough layers. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. Layerless shirts are unapproved. Who has the most? The, I, the the shirt that I designed is the most layered shirt. Is that correct? Yes. I think quantity ah, of yes, layers. That's is good. The <laughs> you, you 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 submitted quite easily there. Yeah. It's true. The truth. You have the what do you call it? The the gift of truth or what? It, what was it? I don't know. You know when when they're like, "Hey, what if the our competition is gossiping about us?" You have the gift oh yeah, of truth. they have the big weapon. Yeah, the, the weapon, weapon of truth, truth, the high ground. Yeah, so you got numbers on your site. Nonetheless, jockostore.com. That's where you can get all the cool stuff. If, check it out. If you want something, get something. Also, psychological warfare. If you don't know what that is, it's an album with tracks, Jocko tracks. When you run into those moments of weakness in your campaign against weakness. Speaking of which, uh, so I, I'm getting in my car. You know, I've got thousands of songs on my iTunes. Hell and, yeah. Uh, I, get, I get in my car. You know how to, it, it, I have my Bluetooth on. I didn't realize it, but it just automatically synced up to, yeah, my, yeah. to my truck. So I, I jump on my truck. And, and I, I didn't realize the radio was at kind of a high volume, <laughs> apparently. I think my kids were probably screaming in the back seat, so I'm playing like some kid mm-hmm. tunes. But I get in there. <laughs> I get in there, and, uh, and all of a sudden it's like, Jocko's voice. I, mean, I get it. I'm not, I'm not paying attention, backing up, and it's like, it's kind of where loud, does discipline come from? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, of all the random, you know, thousands of songs that I have on my iTunes, like that comes up. I was like, what are the odds? And it was actually something I needed to hear at that moment, uh, and and to to remind me to get back on the path. So there you go. That is something that's extremely helpful. Perfect. Um, and uh, the the universe. The universe yeah, aligns. The universe aligns. You can thank Echo Charles for that. Because Echo Charles originally said to me, like, hey, what do you do here? And I answered him some question. It was, it was like- When I skip workouts. Yeah, what do you, he's like, well, how do you not skip workouts? And I was like, I ba 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 And he's like, bro, we need to record that and put it out so people can listen to it. And he's like, and you should answer the rest of them. You should be like, what, what, how do you get out of bed? So I was just like, all right, ask me the questions. And that's where it came from, Echo Charles. Yeah, a little additional thing where- 
you know how the kind, I don't know if you've run into this, where you're, you're like, I have, I don't, I'm confused or I don't have the answer for this thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask Jocko what is, just what does he think? Right as you're a- asking him, you're like, oh, I know what he's going to say already. <laughs> right. So this one, he was like, I was like, oh, I know what this guy's going to say right now. He's just going to say, stop being weak or some, something like that. So it was more like, I get it. Stop being weak. Okay. But there's a little bit more to that. Like, what do you say? Like, what do you think or whatever? You know, so I'm like, all right. Yeah, we're going to record that. And these Jocko tracks, they have it for anything. Not just skipping workouts, for procrastination, getting up early, all this stuff. So it's kind of like, even if your volume's not turned up, it's kind of like Jocko's actually telling you, like, how to not skip the workout. It's good. It's encouragement. Yeah. 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 yeah I would say You know what's more, funny is how come people are always like, oh, you should make a thing of you yelling at me to get out of bed. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not Here's a big thing, yeller. Here's the thing, that would work, but... It would only work like a few times. All After right. a while, it's kind of like, oh, you know, right. yeah, you Just know, like cool. Uh, shut him recording up. Recording of Jocko yelling, but if you're, you know, how like you're talking, like, um, you know, so like it's kind of like you're explaining, I'm explaining practically, it, yeah, yeah. you know, like well, this sure. is this what's going on, this is what you kind of thing. It's it's enough a reminder of like, hey, get back on the path. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Do well, it. There you go. But yeah, good one. Get that one on iTunes. Basically anywhere where they sell MP3s. Yeah, yeah, it's available. Psychological warfare. Good way to support. The also when you're on Amazon, you mm-hmm. can get Jocko White tea. Now the good thing about there's some good things and bad things about Jocko White tea. The bad things are is you got to mix it up with hot water that can take a little extra time. The good things is once you drink about a half a cup of white tea. And this is what we're finding now. When you drink about a half a cup of white tea, you are then able to deadlift 8,000 pounds. A lot of people were wondering how much you had to drink, yeah, yeah. and the answer is you can drink a half a cup. And you're there. So you can get Jocko White team, and it's also legal, which a lot of people are trying to get it outlawed right now by the, you know, the Athletic Commission and the Olympics. They don't want yeah. people breaking Water. all the records and everything. So, yeah, they're trying to just ban it. Mm-hmm. But get it while you can, right? <laughs> get it while you can before it sure. gets banned. Yep. Before it gets banned, and then you're just done. Also, some books, the books that I read on the podcast for sure. There's also a book called – a lot of the books that I read on the podcast are, are for adults, clearly. A lot of them are very, you need a mature audience. Mm-hmm. But kids also need to know how to get on the path. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You, you got kids, you, you got kids. Kids need to know how to get on the path. How are they gonna get on the path? Well, number one, they can get the book Way of the Warrior Kid, and they can get on the path with that, and now there's another book coming out. It's Way of the Warrior Kid 2, sequel. The sequel. sequel. Could yeah. it be Bold. a Jaws 2 fail? There's always that chance. There's that chance. If I would have listened to my publisher. Yeah. Because what do they want to do? They want you to churn out. Hey, you got a little hit going here. Let's get another one. Let's ride the wave. Right? And by the way, let us help you shape where we think this could go. Oh, so you just want to take it down that path. No, we're not going down that path. Life's hard. Mark's going to face some more struggles. And he does. Luckily, he's got an Uncle Jake. Comes and help him out. Way the Warrior Kid, Mark's Mission. You can pre-order it right now. It comes out April 24th is the date that it comes out. You can get that. Also, if you're an adult and you want to get on the path, stay on the path, be on the path, move down the path, you can get a book called Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual, which Echoes apparently knows all about field manuals. My favorite kind of manual. Yeah, favorite kind of manuals. This is going to help you stay on the path. That's what it's going to do. 
not only what you should think about in a section called thoughts, but also the actions you should take if you want to proceed to get stronger, faster, smarter, and all around better. And if you want the audio version, don't look for it on Audible because it's not there. This is an album also with tracks, Mm. and it's available in MP3 format from Amazon Music, from Google Play, from other MP3 platforms. And actually, Leif, why don't you talk a little bit about, I don't know, a couple books we wrote, a little company we got, maybe a little event that we're doing. First and foremost, if, if you want to dive deeper in the leadership principles that we've been talking about and referencing, get Extreme Ownership. That's, we, we have people ask us like, hey, where did you make mistakes in your career? We wrote a whole book about them. That's what Extreme Ownership is about. The mistakes we learn on the battlefield, the things that happen to us, what we learn from them, um, and then how that a principle applies to business and life. So go get that book on Amazon or anywhere uh, that you can buy books. And if you're like me and you're super busy and you don't have a lot of time to read, um, then uh, you can get the Audible book. Uh, the audio book, it's on Audible, it's on anywhere, uh, and uh, and get uh, get that version. And we read it, by the way. We read it. Yeah. James Earl Jones wasn't available. Yeah. So uh, apparently- Texas Batman was. We, we, uh, we had to read it. I didn't realize I was the Texas Batman until people were listening to this book. Yeah, Actually. yeah, you are. <laughs> That's where that was born on, uh, on social media. I hear good things um, about the audio version, though. Straight yeah, up. There's little, there's little surprises in the audio version. What? That it, once again we didn't listen to our publisher. Our publisher was like, "Well, that's kind of weird to put that." Well, we well, what would you rather hear for gunfire? Uh, you know, me going pop 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 pop, or would you rather hear gunfire? What would you rather hear for an explosion? Leif going kaboom, or would you rather have an explosion? What would you rather have for the call to prayer? Leif talking about the call to prayer coming because right. it's it can be pretty eerie in Describing those situations, it. or would you rather actually hear it? Dang. So there's. What would you call that? Uh, audio theater? Sure. You make it into like Would you call like it a, that? Yeah. Sure. Audio I theater. I would call it that. Okay. Yeah, they, did, they did a great job with that, uh, with the audio book. So get that. That's certainly an option as well. Uh, and if you have a company or you want to work work with us, uh, Echelon Front, that's our that's our company, Echelon Front. And if you're looking to, uh, to implement these leadership programs into your team, learn from us, learn, learn those same principles that we talk about, um, then that's what we do at Echelon Front is we, we come out and work with your team. We, uh, and, and we come out and work with your team and, and get these principles applied to your particular challenges so that you can lead and win on your battlefield. And that's just that, that what Echelon Front is, is our company. It's Jocko. It's me. It's Dave Burke. It's JP Donnell, guys that you know from, from this podcast and, uh, and a whole team of folks. As Jocko talked about the tank where we talk about these leadership problems, we solve those problems and, uh, and we help you lead and win. And that's awesome. We love that. So, uh, if you're interested in, uh, in working with us, go to, uh, echelonfront.com. And of course, the muster, which we talked about, this is the ultimate leadership conference. Uh, and and ev- we've had four of these so far. Every single one of them have sold out. Every single one of them have sold out. So don't wait. If you were interested in coming, uh, we're only doing two this year. We're only doing two. We had a lot going on for us, and we said we're going to do two amazing musters. Uh, that's what we're going to focus on. We did three last year, but we're only doing two this year. And that's in Washington, D.C., May 17th and 18th. And that's in San Francisco, October 17th and 18th. And that's it. If you want to uh, if you want to come and be a part of the muster, go to extremeownership.com and get registered, and we'll see you there. And until the muster, if you want to kind of continue this conversation that we're having right now, you can find us continually conversing. 
on the interwebs, mm-hmm. on Twitter, on Instagrammy, and on the Facebook. <laughs> Leif is at Leif Babin. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. Echo Charles, anything else? No. Oh, self-correcting machine. That's what happens when you start doing the extreme ownership thing. That's the added layer I gathered from today. Legit. So, I yeah, like it. Thanks for helping Legit. Uh, clarify. Always good to see you. Thanks for having me. Maybe not always, but... Leif, any closing thoughts? Good to be on again. We'll, Looking forward to the next time. I suppose we'll do one more when we're up at the muster. We'll talk more. Maybe we'll talk more about... Probably talk a little bit about extreme ownership. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the new book, which will be done for the most part by then. Awesome. Obviously, thanks for coming on. Thanks to everyone out there, especially those of you who are out there in uniform, who have basically said, I am willing to give everything I have for freedom. We're here today because of you. So thank you. Thank you to the police and the law enforcement and the firefighters and the paramedics and the rest of the first responders that do their job every day, every day, to make sure that we are safe here at home. And to everyone else out there that's listening and sharing and supporting this podcast, thank you. But don't just listen. And don't just support. And don't just share. But instead... Wake up every day with a mission. Wake up every day with a goal to be a little bit better than you were yesterday and become the self-correcting machine. That's not going to bring you to perfection, but it's going to bring you to a place that's a little bit closer. So get out there and get after it. And until next time, this is Leif and Echo and Jocko. Out.